independence. Whoa. Seven up that production value. Wee. Ooh, baby, baby. Wee, baby, baby. Ooh, baby, baby. A pop culture popcorn podcast now. Hello. What's up? No, no fade or anything? Just just straight cut? Welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast um, where we're going to be talking the latest and greatest in the world of sports, movies, TV, um, multimedia, conglomerate productions. <laughs> yep. I am Ernest okay. Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. A lot to talk about, but we don't have something to go super in depth on this week. No, no big review. So it's gonna be. This is gonna be a ten pack of chicken nuggets. Type I of know. Day. I know that. You no, know, we're not gonna get the whole burger. We're gonna get the ten pack. Look, the fans were clamoring on Twitter for us to review Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom and Sicario. Sicario, <laughs> But um, you know what? We just decided, like, hey, you know what? Instead of doing that, we're gonna not do that. Yeah, those movies. And I don't. I don't know if you guys know, but those movies you. look like shit, and I don't want to see them. Hey, don't you dare talk shit about Sicario. I, I'm gonna. I, it looks like shit. <laughs> it looks like they removed but, anything that but was have good about you, this one. Have you seen the promotional material? There's a skeleton with both the Mexican and the American flag. That's it. Guns pointing in opposite direction. Symbolism. Yo, that's fucked. And dude. then I don't know if you guys have like zoomed in on the poster, but uh. You got a Benicio in one eye, no, of it, and then Josh Brolin in the other. Eye. Is it? Is it? <laughs> so wait a minute. It's, eye, it's, it's action scenes. Wait, let's yeah. let's pause. Did you zoom in on the poster? I, I did. Yeah, <laughs> I actually you I saw printed it? out. I printed out a poster at my house. I blew it up to take up my entire wall, so it's yeah, very yeah. pixelated. Yeah, you're like, I bet there's something else going on here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I need to investigate. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the FIFA World Cup to start things off. Um, I want to do like a formal check in here because we're in the knockout stages and shit's lit, guys. It's, it's lit. fucking crazy. This World Cup is nuts. Yeah. Let's. Oh, I mean, we have to catch up before we even get to knockout. Germany, defending out. world champions, out yeah. in group stage. Which does happen more than you would think, the defending champ. Yeah, it, it actually it, it happened. I didn't realize it until they were talking while the while the games were happening. But it's happened like four times in the mm-hmm. last five or six World Cups or something like that. So it's more often than not they can't mm-hmm. advance through. But what's so surprising is that Germany opened as the second biggest favorite for the World Cup behind Brazil. So just the fact that they lost, yeah. couldn't even make it to knockout round is insane. That's a big one. That's a big boy. And then I don't know. I don't know what happened in the in between. But this morning I caught the game. I don't well, know if you okay. Guys did. So in yep. the in between, Colombia just barely made it into the uh, the round of sixteen there by. I mean, they played really well, but they honestly lucked out because what happened was Poland beat Japan. Mm. And then they ended up uh, facing off against Senegal, and Senegal like played really well, almost better than Colombia. But due to a technicality, Colombia ended up. Uh, well, did they beat Senegal? Um, I can't. Did remember they tie? They. Um, I can't. Uh, I can't remember whether or not they were or not. But I know that they had the tiebreaker because the same thing went for Mexico. Mexico almost didn't make it, despite having the first two games. Mexico looked like one of the best teams in the tournament. They got their ass handed to them in uh, their most recent, in the last game of group stage. And if Korea didn't somehow find a way to beat Germany, then they would have gotten eliminated. Yeah. 
Go Korea. Go, yeah, our Korean brothers. And then uh, Belgium and England faced off in a little... uh, a, little a, bit game, of a, a game that meant absolutely nothing because yeah, both of them had already been guaranteed for that point. What's interesting, though, is that um, Belgium ended up winning up that game, but it kind of seems, if you look at the bracket itself, it almost seems like England got a better draw. Mm-hmm. England has to play uh, Colombia. That's going to be crazy. Which is going to be intense, but then after that, they're going to play the winner of Sweden versus Switzerland, and then the winner of Russia and Croatia. Okay, so now so I, they have a pretty good draw wow. that could this, get to the finals. This could semis. finally be their year. There, I hope so. Someone, because I don't, I you know, obviously historically, I don't know much about uh, international soccer, but someone on SB Nation took the liberty of, they did an analogy article comparing every World Cup team to college football teams, and that you would like that, Hunter. It okay. really helped me a lot with understanding <laughs> historical context. And they said that England is Notre Dame, meaning yeah. like every year it's like, why aren't you winning? Because by all means, they should be. Um, hey, maybe it's England's year, dude. So I, I, I uh, actually have it pulled up now, and Colombia did beat Senegal 1-0. I remember that now. And uh, that was a, a nail-biting game. And then once we actually made it to the round of 16, we had France face off against Argentina. And that was insane. France went 4-2, to two, knocking out Messi's team. 4-3. to three. Four to three, yeah, right? Four to three. It Argentina looked like ass this tournament. No, yeah, I wanted to actually bring that yeah. up. Is that this really was like? I mean, Argentina has struggled in the past to find a secondary scorer behind Messi, and this year it just seemed like nobody was really able to step into that role. Like they have the talent there, they have Sergio Aguero, they have Angel Angel de, de Maria, but they just like can't put it together in a way that works with them. Because if you look at them on paper and their respective uh, teams that they play with in club league, then you would think, wow, these guys should be one of the best teams in the world. And I don't know if it's just a matter of their coaching or what exactly it is that they just cannot get it figured out. Anubis just farted. The dog just farted really bad. I'm sorry. Uh, Um, Hunter, I have no idea what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't matter. It's so Um, Well, okay. So so basically Argentina is out. And Portugal also out. So we have Ronaldo and Messi, the two biggest stars in the world, out from the World Cup. That's wild. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it shows that it's uh, hugely, more than most sports, it's a team sport. Um, you know? Dude, this fart. I know. I know. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's lingering, oh, dude. No, just, no, we're keeping this in. This is good. Um, this is adds uh, character. <laughs> So now that we are in the, the I think knock- it's bad enough that it's going through the mics. It's going up into the ceiling fan and just staying. Like <laughs> it's lingering. This see, this is like a scratch and sniff podcast. It, it adds. This is like a four D. And Ubis is just looking so happy with himself. Yeah. He's oh so God. proud. All right. So um, now that we are actually in the knockout stages, though, yeah. we have well, Spain what, also out. Yes, exactly. I was going to bring that up. Is that now? Today, we had Spain playing Russia. Spain opened as huge, huge favorites for this yeah. game, as they should have been. And it was, it was offensively, it was pretty stagnant for this game. I mean, Spain's goal was an own goal uh, yep. from 12 Russia. 12 minutes in. And then yeah. Russia's goal was a PK. Yeah, but that PK was bullshit, and I really think that the fucking home 
team Russia just paid off I mean, the ref. Listen, jury's out on whether or not Russia's whole team is I on call steroids. Collusion. Also, oh yeah, because the Olympics. Yeah, they. I mean, just his, <laughs> historically, they're always on steroids. Yeah, like literally, all, them in China, are, they just can't stop doing steroids. Well, okay, so we should bring this up because this brings up an important point that, like, you know, whenever we're watching uh, soccer, especially in the group stages, we always get this urge, like, we want to pull for the underdog. We want the underdog to win, but yeah. whenever that happens, you get not as good of teams facing off against <laughs> each other. It's kind of like, true. That's what happens. That's why that's I, the fundamental problem with cheering for an underdog. I don't think that's really been the case this cup. I think that's what makes this year's cup so special but is like, that the teams are really even and you have these like kind of obvious choices like uh Brazil, Germany, uh Spain, Argentina, like Portugal all being held like at their, at their, I just, I'm just saying, I would rather watch Belgium against Germany end. than Belgium against Japan in the knockout round. But I think what's proving here is that these teams that we don't really know as well are playing really well this year. Like this cup, it's so surprising that we saw a team like Senegal like really, really pull through, or even, even Mexico is like proving to be one of the favorites, and you know they, they're like a B tier team but this year they're like the one I want to see win I mean I'm still pulling for my home team for Colombia but if I want anyone to win this whole thing Mexico's up there I mean France I think is also a favorite I think France did an amazing job their team is young they got fucking fire under their feet they're going hard and I think Mbappe is really this dude, has been a come out party 19 for year old Mbappe I, uh, I've been riding the Mbappe train for the last like couple months or so I was started like watching last year like kind of in the Premier League watching him play and like he's just so so impressive and now just seeing him really stand out here in the World Cup getting the game winning goal over um, yeah. over Tino is just like such a huge win for them even um even Belgium against Japan happening this week, that's tomorrow, like, that game is still going to be good. Like, Belgium is a great team, but we've seen Japan play really well this cup. So, it's what I'm trying to say here is that nothing is for certain, and you can't really say for sure that a certain team is going to win just because they've they have a certain history what's sad about belgium is that like you look at their squad and they really should be like if not a winner they should at least be making like the final four but they've known they've been known to just have like a god-awful coach like just looking up and down their team like they have company they have de bruyne they have hazard they have lukaku they have dembele they have all this talent that is just elite elite world-class level but they just don't have the coaching to kind of stand up for it and the other problem is now that we're in knockout stages is now we're having to deal with penalties which we had earlier today we had two games that went to penalties and in one of those games i think the right team won i think croatia is a better team than denmark and they rightfully were able to pull it out um huge huge game for Modric after he had a chance to make the winning PK with about two minutes left in reg- in uh, extra time. He got that PK blocked, but then he was able to come back, compose himself, and hit the penalty to help them elevate themselves over Denmark. But then R. we R. had Denmark. Russia against Spain. They inched by over Spain just because uh, they just couldn't get it together. And it's it's yeah. really sad it was, that it they was, couldn't. I mean, it was also frustrating watching Spain, though. Like, they seemed... 
they seemed like they just lacked like the one guy up front who was going to be like, all right, mm-hmm. get the ball Torres. to me. Yeah. Where was Torres? Torres. Oh, Torres flamed. See, we we most out? most of our old context w- uh, for soccer was based on <laughs> FIFA 2010 World Cup, in which Torres is incredible. Yeah, literally like the year after that, he just became bad. He was Damn. young and he just didn't. He just fell off. Shit. So Torres is gone. He's not even worth being on the national team, and they just didn't have. They're kind of old. I mean, Iniesta is a midfielder. Dude, but he, he looks old. He's so he's, Iniesta is really old. He's yeah. mad old. They just have a lot of really old dudes, and they just didn't. They didn't. Russia was playing super defensive because Russia wanted this game to go to PKs. because they paid off the ref. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they basically the game was one to one, and Russia was like, "That's perfect. We don't need to push anymore because one to one is fine. Going to PKs is like if that's a 50-50, Russia is so happy with a 50-50 yeah. chance of winning. So they just pulled everyone God. back on defense, and Spain had so much trouble getting around. If someone took a shot, there were like four sets of feet in front of that shot. And, and it was it was really frustrating to watch. PKs suck, man, because you have 122 hours worth of play being decided by one dude fucking up. Yeah, it it's just, sucks, man. It does suck. But I mean, we talked about before the tournament start, started that Spain fired their manager three days before the <laughs> tournament started. And like whenever it comes down, because another thing that you have to like keep in mind whenever especially you're making late, late game substitutions is you have to think as a manager, OK, I'm making these substitutions for right now what will help the team, but also I need people who are out there who are great penalty takers because this has a really good chance of going to penalties. So you need... I know um, Croatia specifically put a guy out there who hadn't played all tournament. They put him out there because he's a great penalty taker. And what did he do? He made a penalty kick. And now they're on to the the next Yeah, and that's that's kind of... You have to be thinking multiple steps ahead as a manager. Whenever you're just kind of thrust into the role right before the tournament begins and you don't really get time to develop with these players, then that's kind of yeah. one of the downsides you're going to have. Any uh, any final thoughts, any hopes for this week before um, we move on? I know you're cheering for Columbia, but I'm really rooting for this being England's oh. I, I Yeah, Whoa, I know. Okay. We're going to have a little bit of a thing uh, on the third. Maybe That's... we can make it interesting. Hunter, oh, you want to place a gentleman's wager on that? Hunter, do you, <laughs> have, do you have any idea what the English have done to your Irish indigenous people. You know what? They're all part of the Great Britain Island, so I'm just I'm just cheering for all no. of Britain. No, I really Hunter's I love Jack. Do you see the ju- the Union Jack on here? Oh, uh, yeah. fuck. Hunter, <laughs> okay, no, Hunter I will endorses say, Brexit officially. Yeah. No, what I will racist. say is um I I love England specifically because I love Harry Kane. Um, I've yeah. watched a decent amount of Tottenham, and he is just one of the best strikers in the world. And watching him play is just yeah. so so. He's awesome. also not bad at Fortnite. He played with Ninja a couple weeks ago. Really? Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> what about uh, Brazil, Mex, Mexico? I want to see Mexico win, but at the same time, I this kind of seems like it's this is. This is Brazil's cup to lose at this point. Like some of their biggest competition has been knocked out yeah. at this point, and I really feel like this is kind of the year of Brazil them making their comeback after being just totally embarrassed last World Cup. <laughs> yeah, that like, Germany lost. This is they all have that in the back of their mind, and if you just look up top and down in their and their roster, Brazil just looks pretty much unbeatable. Ferdinandinho is like shouts out for he's not going to win it because he's a defender, but he. If you watch the games, he looks like one of the best players in the tournament. I um I really do think that they're the better team, but if Mexico wins, I'll be so damn happy. At the same dude, De Jesus has been he's just been lights out this year. And uh it's funny, I've been um I recently uh, picked up FIFA on the Switch and uh I've been playing oh. a lot with Man City and stuff lately, mostly just because I wanted to pick a team that had a really high uh 
a lot of money that I could just spend on big ass players. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, De Jesus is on Man City, and he is unbelievably good. Like he's so fucking fast. Nice. It's awesome. All right. Um. So yeah, that's World Cup. As long as we're talking sports, we should talk really quick. We have we have breaking news that yeah, this just just happened. Yeah, that LeBron like thirty minutes ago signed a four year, one hundred fifty six or four million dollar contract with the Lakers. The Lakers part, I've. I've been calling for like years now. Yep. Um, just because of you know LeBronology, Brian Windhorst, and all that, all that shit. Everyone knows that he wants to be Hollywood. He wants to be a legend, and he wants to be in movies and TV. How yeah. long was he in he, Cleveland for? He well, he went back. To, he started in Cleveland for like six or seven years. Yeah, he, but this latest. Yeah, stint, left to Miami, came like two back. Years? It, four it was, it was, years. I think oh, it was okay. four years because they played the Warriors four straight years okay. every year that he was in Cleveland. Yeah, they and, against the and they won one, and the Warriors got three. And this last loss was just embarrassing. I think that once J.R. Smith absolutely choked in game one, after LeBron got like 50-something points, this this idiot on LeBron's team, J.R., he grabs a rebound with two seconds left, and he runs like the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. He's no, that stupid. It's literally like one of the dumbest yeah. things I've ever seen It was in an sports. all-time moment. After LeBron puts up so – like he had the best game I've ever seen. And the game was over. After that moment, it was like the writing was gone. on the wall. Yeah, it's like yeah. he's so fucking. It was, so it was does this over. mean that LeBron's like on his victory lap? Well, okay. So at this point, that's kind of been a big discussion because now he's going to be thirty-three years old. And granted, he's still, despite being thirty-three, has shown like no signs of attrition. And he still looks like one, he's one of the best players in the league. But at some point, he is still a human. He's going to get worse. Body yeah, will start breaking down. Are going to. Explode. This is very much a forward-thinking move for him because they can still try and get the assets that they want to make a title contending team. But at the same time, LeBron wants to be the richest athlete in the world. And, he, and this is, and he's making his way towards that. He's already an executive producer for movies, for a TV show that like Plinko TV show. Yeah. Which game is, show. He, yeah. Yeah. He's, he has his hand in a lot of this entertainment stuff. And so he this has is multiple natural. business ventures that are based out of LA to LA homes. So it was always kind of, yeah, right there. And it's just a smart move because Cleveland is so bad at roster building. Not that I mean, even though LeBron does does have some kind of say, and he didn't make the best moves when it was like kind of up to him. Uh, L.A. historically has shown that they are willing to do what it takes to get people, and L.A. is a lot easier to convince people to come to than Cleveland. L.A. is a better city. Do you guys think that LeBron has enough like pull and? Uh, agency that he that this was his plan all along well it's especially the rumors really started up last summer was when all this happened because of course because his contract went to this year and last summer everybody was kind of talking about the rumblings were kind of starting to come up with insider and the nba saying like hey lebron's like looking around at la that time he had just bought a second house in la his (laughs) son um is now going into high school um, and they are the best academies, the best basketball academies in the world are on the West Coast, not in fucking Cleveland, yeah. Ohio. So it just kind of made more sense for him to yeah. go this route. So the the original, uh, the main theory of what was going to happen as far as super teams go is that it was going to be LeBron and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They were all going to join in L.A. Uh, that's not happening at all, though, because Paul George signed with the Thunder yesterday. So he's out of the situation. Um, Kawhi Leonard, on the other hand, he's with the Spurs. He wants out of the Spurs, but the Spurs have the option to trade him wherever they want, and they have no motive whatsoever to give him to L.A. because that would just give them horrible competition in the West. If they can get a deal almost anywhere else, they're going to give him somewhere else. Which basically. Okay, so I 
I kind of hate that mindset, to be perfectly honest, because let's be honest here. Like, the Spurs aren't competing for a title anyway, so make the forward-thinking move. I hate the whole idea of just, like, why would we want to trade? Like, no, we're not going to trade with anybody in our conference. It's like, okay, so you don't play them two more times a year than you would every other team? Like, that doesn't really make sense to me. If you're not – you need to be thinking five years from now, not next year. Why don't – the Lakers do have good young assets. These picks that they – like, they have control of their draft picks, like – they have assets well, there to trade for. I mean, a lot of it also depends on what kind of faith they're in with Kawhi because it's been really weird over there, the situation. He's not happy with how they handled his injury. He was separate from the team during a lot of crucial moments last year. Oh, Kawhi is out, definitely. Well, yeah, he's that's, definitely that's out, but the thing is, do the Spurs want to make him happy or do they just absolutely not give a shit about where he goes? Because they know where he wants to go. He wants to go to L.A. It's just a matter of do they really care? Because there's a good chance they don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, regardless, though, uh, you were saying there's, you know, the new thing is maybe Boogie Cousins goes to L.A. because the Pelicans aren't extremely happy with him. He, after he got injured last year, they improved as a team uh, because Anthony Davis just absolutely went Rambo. Um, so there's there's I think there's a pretty decent chance that they would be willing to deal him and get some young guys from the Lakers. That would be a pretty cool duo. Yeah, I would like to see that. I'm thinking that if anybody's going to motivate uh, Boogie to actually live up to his potential, that it is working with arguably the greatest player of all time, if not the second greatest player of all time, yeah. then I, I, I really support that move. I would like to see that happen. I'm glad that to learn uh, recently the Celtics have said they've dropped out of the Kawhi Leonard sweepstakes, which I'm happy for because I think that the real prize is Anthony Davis and like a year or two whenever he becomes available. That would be crazy. To get a 24-year-old who's top three best players in the league and he's already so young i really i see anthony davis is some i mean he got a lot more attention after these playoffs because he reminded everyone but he's somehow underrated still because he's in in a really low market team and he's injured a lot yeah people forget that when he's in it's like what the hell is going on with this guy his wingspan he's a freak guy's got one freaking eyebrow yeah i mean (laughs) sheesh (laughs) um but yeah that that's enough for sports we're losing Um, i did want to losing them I did have another little bit. Let's get back onto uh, another metrics. bit of news to circle back around to film news. Uh, something that came out actually last week, but we forgot to bring up on the podcast that Disney has announced they're suspending work on these Star Wars. Oh yeah, big rumor. Yeah, yeah. it's it hasn't been officially announced, but it's pretty much like after the how Solo performed, it seems like Disney yeah. is going to suspend yeah. so, work on these. So I'm in heaven movies. right now over this. <laughs> I, I love this shit. I, and you still haven't seen Solo, have you? No, I don't want yeah. to. I I have no desire to. So the the other side of this rumor is that apparently they might be retrofitting some of these projects and folding them into other things. Mm. So like the Obi Wan movie might be like. A, a Disney Channel streaming service original movie, so it could be like uh, ways you, to draw people into that. The new... I thought you were gonna say they're gonna go like the Cloverfield route of just taking a random <laughs> movie and then turning it into a Star Wars movie Honestly, retroactively. That could be a, a good idea. <laughs> that would absolutely suck. Um, but yeah, I I mean I I like this new like I've complained on pods before. Uh, I like Ryan Johnson and I like The Last Jedi a lot as a Star Wars movie. It's one of my top three Star Wars movies overall. But like I always say, I would rather have these dudes doing something else. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Well, I mean, this is talking specifically about like the movies like Solo and Rogue One and yeah, Obi-Wan. Yeah. Not yeah. so much like they're still going to go on with the Ryan Johnson trilogy. If anything, and presumably the Benioff and Weiss. Yeah, if anything, the, the Ryan Johnson movies are now being fast-tracked so that we get his first one 
in 2020. Yeah. So 2019, we get episode nine and 2020, we get yeah, that that's, first movie. Yeah, that's still definitely going to happen because he, I mean, he proved that he's good. Like, yeah. p- p- there are people who are mad. Are you guys super into this Twitter? Can we talk about this? <laughs> yeah, we, we yeah. should. Do you know about this? Yeah, Twitter? yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so if, anyone, love if shit, anyone out there doesn't know, apparently this is not a joke, which no, I not. thought it was at first. There is a movement to remake The Last Jedi. Yeah, and the, the semantics <laughs> of this movement are the funniest thing I've ever seen. It's yes. a Twitter account they're trying to start like a grassroots campaign well they built a site too yeah they have a website and they have apparently it's a company like it has like some sort of like actually functioning thing behind it <laughs> but like these people are so stupid when they when they're pressed about what how, what this actually means basically it means they're trying to convince disney to scrap a movie that made like <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars pretend it didn't exist uh, and remake it. Yeah, assumingly casting people that look similar to like John Boyega, <laughs> they're not going to get funding to cast like these actual people. So and it's, they want Luke's ma- mainly they just want Luke Skywalker to be yeah, like fighting people exactly and to the, be like badass. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, they they didn't like that their their favorite boy growing up is now like a mean old man. <laughs> It's the most man child. Like, <laughs> it really is. it's so what's, juvenile. What's the best thing about it is seeing Ryan Johnson just react to it and just being like, "Yeah, man, let's get this funding. Let's get this <laughs> yeah. going." Like Ryan Johnson's just yes, all on board please. with doing yeah, this. No, he, yeah, he it's literally hilarious. tweeted that because Ryan it is Johnson a joke. is a great, great Twitter presence. Yeah, he's really like, funny, he's, <laughs> and he's it's true. It's just like, yeah, absolutely, you guys try remake the Last Jedi. <laughs> I dare you because what they want to do is crowdsource the script. Oh yeah, they I legitimately about that. they they legitimately want like basically everything to be approved by the masses before it comes out, which is the worst idea I've ever heard because <laughs> everyone is fucking stupid in this world. Everyone is dumb. Like what what are you thinking? We just want Luke Skywalker to lightsaber people. Yeah, exactly. Like it is it is incomprehensible. I don't know if you guys I don't know if you guys are. saw this, but um, so George Lucas, of course, it was always ta- George Lucas wrote another trilogy of movies that were. Well, never he had a treatment. Made. Yeah, he, he had, didn't have scripts. He didn't have scripts or anything, but he had a whole plan. And he said that he was just like, oh, you know, like my plan was basically the same thing: was to treat Luke Skywalker as like this old man who's been seen yeah, seen all this crazy shit, and half of Twitter took that as like look guys like yeah this was the right way to treat Luke Skywalker and everybody else is just like there's a reason why George Lucas didn't make these movies man everyone's like yeah they're like no but I don't want that (laughs) it's so it's so self-centered of these people to assume that the fans are correct yeah and and the I think the bulk of the people who are offended by this movie to the point that they're taking action Mm. is a a very specific group of like middle-aged men yeah it's who don't feel in the theater like they did when they were six years old. Yeah, like they're the movie. people who ask their mommy and daddy to take them to the theater every every like, week Whoa. to go see Star Wars, the well, first one in theaters. And, and also transported. It's, I mean, speaking to the fact that they're men, there is definitely a lot of like anti-diversity stuff going on. Like oh, I've that, seen a lot of yeah, that shit. Uh, so the the girl that plays Rose, the, yeah. the Asian girl. She deleted her social media. She got driven she, off yeah, of Instagram. Because she was getting shit Instagram. on. And harassed. The... I don't understand that from a perspective of like I think that her and John Boyega's plot line was probably the worst part of that movie. But to go on social media and blame the character, they blame the actress. Yeah, yeah, to blame that even the character exactly. Yeah, that's what I meant. But like she didn't, she didn't write that shit, and she was fine. She didn't do anything wrong. If it's, anything, she was like the representation of like a Star Wars fan, yeah, but they which just, is so ironic. Like her character is supposed to be like 
the fan yeah. in oh, the yeah. movie, like fangirling about being in a Star yeah, and, Wars movie. And also, don't even get these guys started on the fact that there's a leading lady with purple hair up in space. They they can't even <laughs> comprehend that. There's a there's a talking fucking bear human creature in this universe, <laughs> a and they, slug monster, and, and a lady with purple hair just boggles their minds. It is the most. It's so. Yeah, I uh, think there is. It's there, like 4chan shit. There is a larger conversation to be had about the actual like almost disease that fandom is becoming at this point. Like the toxicity of these people being like, no, I'm the right kind of fan because I know what Star Wars means to me. Yeah. So I know better than the people making the movies. Yeah, it's it's the same type of people who uh, conflate knowing a lot about a movie with like understanding a movie's purpose. You know, it's the people who know all the trivia about Star Wars but have no idea what it's actually about. You know, it's it's... It's very toxic. surface level. It absolutely sucks. These people are so. I love this Twitter account because they they just get roasted twenty four seven and they just keep trying. And I think that that also just speaks to Star Wars as a whole and like Disney's uh, responsibility with it. Because on one hand, it's something that drives a lot of money and that creates a lot of commerce. It sells so many toys. They're opening the theme park and all that. But on the other hand, you have these people that like are so offended by inconsequential things. Like these are ultimately just movies yeah. and they're like, they're being so hateful and like, yeah. Hit, and, like toxic online to the Disney, point of like ruining lives almost. Yeah. Disney had no idea what they were getting their hand, getting into because I mean, they thought with Marvel, like Marvel was a big property, but it doesn't have nearly the amount of widespread fandom as fucking, like Star Wars does. Star Star Wars is just like spans across ages, across generations of fans. Yeah. Where Marvel, I mean, there were like the classic, like the Spider Man movies, and like we had like a little bit of the old school movies. And There's stuff so like many that. different the characters part, and stories. Yeah, for the most part, yeah, exactly, exactly. Is it's not just one story that's already been told. It's like hundreds if not thousands of different story arcs going on within all these different characters and they have so much IP that they can just kind of pluck out from anything and then kind of mush up with anything else add a little bit of Hollywood flair in there and then pump out the Marvel movies that you see I think leading back to my point about like this very specific type of like middle aged person that's really angry about this like these are the people that when they were in their teens and 20s they were reading these books that were written before the prequels mm. like right before the prequels they were reading all these yeah all the expanded e- universe expanded books. universe stuff and they were like now uh, this is what happens in the story this is what happens to my luke because i read it in a book when i was 17 and that's what has to happen and then they you know fast forward 20 years and it's something completely different and they're somehow like personally offended yeah, no. by it's it. a bu- it's a bunch of shitheads yeah. i don't even we can we can move on all right <laughs> speaking of shitheads hey, hey drake put out a new album this <laughs> hey week. that's a transition <laughs> um hey, speaking he's of hurting he's hurting hey no, speaking yeah, he, of somebody abandoning their child um, <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> yeah so this fucking album is an hour and a half long <laughs> 25 songs which i did my best to listen through i think i did give it one full listen um but of these 25 songs, I can probably just pick out around five or so <laughs> that I would actually like really get into. This this album is kind of perplexing to me. 
Uh, it's a flex. It's it's almost like a flex to push a T. I mean, it definitely is. It was probably rushed because of the whole situation. It's a it. There's like there are a lot of lyrics that are directly responsive to the push a T thing. He has a song called March Fourteenth, which is the day that his son was born, and he talks about how he isn't hiding the son. He just it, it's just not in the spotlight or whatever. Okay. That's that's all fine and good. Okay. Whatever. So I don't know if you guys saw. Apparently, um. This was put out by Drake's people, which I think the story is completely bullshit, that apparently Drake wrote a diss retaliation track for Pusha T, but he decided not to, to scrap it because it was too it was too ha- hard well, that neither Drake nor Pusha T could ever come back from that. The, the, I was like, n- no. What I, I Yeah, what I heard, someone who is a decent source said on a, on a hip-hop radio show that uh, he had shit. He didn't have shit on Pusha, but he had shit on Kanye that would ruin Kanye. Yeah, I remember hearing that. And after a couple days after that news came out, Kanye went on. Uh, he went on Twitter or something, and he was like, "It's getting negative, so this is over." So I, maybe that's true. I'm sure there is shit on Kanye out oh, there. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Probably uh, not that hard to find. Exactly. But either way, it's still an L for Drake. It doesn't matter if he had it. If it didn't come out, it doesn't matter. Even if it was really real, you know what I mean? Like it. Who cares? So this album is perplexing to me because I've, I've said before, I'm not super hard on Drake. I think that he is capable of putting out really great music. It's just sporadic with him and it, he varies a lot and he kind of, you know, it's not that he dumbs it down, but he, he kind of, he, his identity is wrapped up more in what is going on with music whenever he puts out his well, music. Well, I, I think ultimately the the biggest takeaway that I can get from this album, it's called Scorpion, is that Drake, I, I really doubt that he had a diss track ready, but ultimately keeping that beef going is inconsequential to his success because Drake's like level of success and star power is completely unmatched oh, to yeah. push a T. And yeah. what what Drake is ultimately doing by putting out this album and being all over Spotify because when you opened up Spotify yep. this weekend, it was every single playlist had its face on it. Yeah. So what he's doing is basically saying like I don't need to do this beef even though it would help my my buzz around my new album. I don't need to because everyone's going to listen to my album. Yeah. Even like and even people that push a nose yeah, like this, his family. This beef that. this beef wasn't I mean most rap beefs it's it's like you know at boxing where they meet up for the weigh in and they act like they're punching each yeah. other but they're not really. It it helps everyone involved. Like it gets both that's, of them yeah, exposure. That's the reason no why one, No one is after this being like no no more Drake for me, bro. Like there's no <laughs> one that's doing that. If you liked Drake before you still like him. This album is confusing to me because it seems kind of like a tweener in between uh uh, you know, pop Drake, like radio Drake, and then uh, rap Drake, like he did. Apparently, on, it's, if you're it's an this. A side and a B side. Yeah, yeah but rap and R and B kind it, of. It, yeah, but it just kind of all flows together, and the beats are really sparse on this. They're it's it's produced by you know his OVO guys uh, Noah Forty Shabib and you know all the others, but it just. It seems like a lot of these beats, like there's just not quite a ton going on. I haven't listened multiple times, and I would like to do that before I give a full critique. It's because it's, it's an hour and a half, dude. Yeah, yeah that's it's, the thing. Uh, See, that's the thing is I'm I can confidently say I'm never going to listen to this entire album yeah, because th- I'm not a Drake fan at so all. So if, if um, I gave it the full listen, trying to pick out the good ones, I think at least in my opinion, the good ones are Elevate, Emotionless, um, Eight Out of Ten is solid. Can't take a joke is solid. Uh, 
Nice for What. Yeah, okay. That's I was, one of the I good was gonna ones. say the single Nice for What, I actually really like that song. I think that song's great. After God's Dark. Plan, God's Plan is very Drake and it's fine and I don't really care about it. I think um I'm upset is horrendous. Did you see the video? No. It's so weird. Okay. It's so like Degrassi. I've, weird unfortunately shit. I've um I work at a bowling alley, a local bowling alley, and um, I have a bunch of normies that come in there, and they're like, can you play that new Drake song? I'm upset. I'm upset. And I'm just like, yeah, just fucking emo boy Drake. And I'm like, fucking get over it, dude. Like, you're a grown-ass man. Stop writing a song that says, I'm upset. Like, who? how old hey, are man, you? Don't you feel sorry for it just, every trying time, to be real. I just keep thinking of the, the scene in Whiplash. <laughs> Just like say it, say you're upset. Say you're upset. I'm upset. I'm upset. <laughs> that's what I think of whenever I like Demon. hear a dream. <laughs> like, but that's his whole aesthetic, and I just wish that he would grow out of that. Like, I don't well, know he, why he has several personas. You know, I, he, some that work better than others. Yes, and like. I just don't know what he's trying to go for in his career. I know his career is vastly successful, but it seems very like. It, it just seems so sporadic and so all over the place. Like, last year we had More Life, which was essentially a playlist more yeah, than it was an yeah, album. That's what he called it. Yeah, it's not an album. I mean, you, it's not cohesive in any way, shape, or form. And this, then I mean... before that was Views, which, I mean, Hotline Bling was good, but what other song on there? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the rest of it's just all blends together in this yeah. dreamlike melody, and I don't mean that in a positive connotation. It's just... I That's just the way I feel. I'm like, why are you going to put out... I would rather see Drake of all artists put out a seven-song Kanye-style album than anybody else. I don't need an hour and a half of Drake mm-hmm. in my life. Give me trim it down to seven fucking bangers and yeah. give me that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that. Um, let's move on to Gorilla's new album, The Now Now. This was a surprise yeah. release. Was yeah. that? Well, they announced surprise, it. Surprise, like, lead up. Yeah, but it was just... They released an album last year in Humans, which was a long-ass album, way too long of an album. So I think this album is probably the least ambitious record Damon has ever put out, um, yeah. but it's a, it's a good album. I really am digging this. It's a nice-ass listen. It's groovy, dancey, uh, quiet and good moments, but by far, he is not trying to do anything huge with this it's so straightforward um not really trying to go big i think that was a big problem with humans that it seemed like it was reaching for something that it kind of lost its point somewhere well, and it was kind way. of like uh the lead up to everything now the arcade fire album that came out last year where it had this huge marketing campaign mm-hmm. and you're like this album's gonna be amazing and, and how it we comes heard out that damon it's... was telling people to per, to think about a post uh election trump apocalyptic yeah. uh dance party and this that album doesn't sound like that at yeah. all. yeah and okay so i just i have a little bit of a take for humans and especially this album is i think that both of them are fine to good. Like, I feel like, though, that I would enjoy both of them if they weren't titled Gorillas, which might just be my own fault. If for he came up with there. a different Yeah, thing. I would rather j- him just have his own persona because if you compare the Now Now to, like, fucking Demon Days, they sound 1,000% different. Like, on the Now Now, pretty much 
all of the hip hop influence that went to Gorillaz is non-existent, except for the song Hollywood that just has Snoop Dogg in it. Aside from that, the rest of this is just, I mean, it's not bad, like it, but it's like just groovy, dancey. It's not meant mm-hmm. to have any kind of a hip hop influence in it at all, which Gorillaz was always kind of known for fusing of the genres. Yeah. I, I don't think they're ever going to put out an album like Plastic Beach. I'd be happy if they did. It'd be amazing. I don't think but. that they'll release another Plastic Beach, but I do think they could do something, not to the quality of Demon Days, but something that has that same kind of influence of different sounds mm-hmm. and different genres. Ambition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Have you guys ever heard Feel Good Inc. before? Yeah, dude. But, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> what is that? Wait, what? It's like a banger, dude. Well, honestly, did you did you guys ever listen to Damon's solo album? His yes. self, uh, not I, self-titled, but uh, self. Yeah, yeah, artist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, I solo. I love that album. Yeah, that's an amazing. Uh, I love album. Uh, Everyday Robots. Yeah, that's um, what it's called. I think that that album is amazing. That's actually one of my favorite Damon Albarn yeah. projects. Period. Like yeah. Gorillas or Damon or um, uh, uh, Blur. Blur. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that album blink. is like it's like a. It's like a singer songwriter record, like a almost like a Starbucks like guitar acoustic guitar sort of deal. But he adds all of this like melancholy weight to mm. it, this all of this depth to it, and and just slight moments of like electronic piano and like synths. It's very very sparsely throughout. It's a great great album, and I think if you are thinking of the now now as being better as a Damon solo release, um. I don't know if it would have really fit in with the sound that he was doing on Everyday Robots. Because I'm, not, I'm not saying it necessarily has to be him doing solo, but why not just form a new group? Because, I mean, essentially, Gorillaz is just well, because him. Because he's got to sell the fucking album. Yeah, it's Gorillaz. It would be <laughs> so confusing I, if I get every that, album is but a different like, artist. I just, I, it just doesn't... It seems like they're two completely different bands. I like when bands change their sound and artists change their sound, but this sounds like a completely different well, artist. It, uh, Gorillaz was supposed to end after Plastic Beach. Plastic Beach was supposed to be the finale, and then The Fall came out, which was like not even a real That album. was like a B-Sides album. It, no, wasn't, it, was, it wasn't even a B-Sides album. Yeah. It was a, a legit album. Album, but he just made it on his iPad, so it was like, oh, okay, I guess it's not a <laughs> actual thing. And then he comes back with humans, and now the now now, and it seems like we're in a new phase of gorillas that he's trying to reinvent it as something that he can kind of do whatever he wants with it without fitting a certain mold. Yeah, um, just kind of getting to some of the specific songs on the now now. Um, the opener is great. Yeah, humility is great. Um, really, trans, all three of the singles yeah. are really good. Uh, humility. Um, Lake Zurich and Idaho. Idaho, I really like too. Idaho is kind of a good fusion of um, kind of this dreamy sound that Damon elicits on some of the tracks on the album, but also still kind of has is a little bit of punchiness and a little bit of catchiness to it. Same with um, um, Kansas. Yeah, Kansas as well. Um, I really I like the closing track actually. The first time I listened to it, I didn't really like That's it, a good track. but I it's kind of growing on me. It's very like moody and kind of spacious for a final track on the album it's not very it's not very much meant to be like the classic punchy gorilla sound that you're used to but it's a nice send-off for the album and just kind of makes me excited i would rather them continue him to continue to produce albums that are like this this nice 40 minute 12 song length than him trying to do something like humans i appreciate some of the ambition on humans but it didn't really come together. Half of that album is 100% skippable, and then like another quarter of that is just like, eh, I could take it or leave it. All right. 
you guys uh you got any final thoughts on that no let's get into the next one (laughs) um yeah so tayana taylor put out an album this is another kanye west produced album this one is eight songs for some reason not seven uh but yeah this is the fifth of his it's from the same wyoming sessions as all the other ones um tayana taylor's had an interesting career she's uh collaborated with kanye for a long time before she met kanye she was a pharrell williams prodigy uh like a long time ago um and he he kind of lent her that's that's kind of offensive to say he kind of what he he sent her over to kanye for the um my beautiful dark twisted fantasy sessions and she does a lot of vocals on that album mostly kind of background she's not she's never in the spotlight of the album and it's not like anyone uh her name is not on the tracks that she's in because that album is full of like a million collaborations there aren't there are hardly any names actually credited um so she did that She's put out two albums since then, in like 2012 and 14. They were not very high profile at all. This is definitely her highest profile project. KTSC. Yeah, it's called KTSC. It's and it's you know it's high profile because it's coming out of these you know sessions with Kanye. Um, th- she's also I don't know if you guys know this, but she's also the wife of NBA player Iman Shumpert. Oh, I did um, not know that. And that's she is she's the star of the fade video by Kanye. No, that's her. Yeah, that's Tayana Taylor. Oh shit! Whoa. Um, so she's a she's a really really good dancer. Um, in addition to being a pretty good singer. So this this album I think is solid. I don't think it's I don't think it's like great great, and I don't think it's like among the best that he's put out so far. But it's definitely interesting. It's definitely your best uh, work so far. Have you guys listened to it? I have not given it a I, I chance gave, yet. I gave it a little bit of a listen, but I, I need to dive a little deeper into it. She, The natural comparison uh, when you listen to her is, at least with this album, is SZA. Mm-hmm. But I, I think SZA's got the edge on a few different aspects. I well, think, this, th- from what I heard, this sounded a little bit more upbeat. A little bit more. It's a little more l- Leaning upbeat. a little bit on like it's, poppy. It's just, it's less introspective than SZA is. Mm-hmm. She talks a lot about her inner turmoils and all that stuff. And then it's also the lyricism is definitely kind of worse and it's also a lot more overtly sexual which is not like a plus or well, minus control really. control got pretty pretty sexual yeah but this too. this album KTSC, even more so is yeah it's just like out there um which makes sense because she's kind of a muse for kanye and it's you know i'm sure he's kind of influenced her direction um and there there are a few songs on this that i think are infinitely listenable she has there's a collaboration with kanye called hurry the yeah i like that's an that's an amazing song man the the beat of it has some really really good guitar sampling going on uh some cool effects and she's she is a good singer she's not like like the you know a mind blower but she's very talented as a singer um and then the other one that i think is like well worth anyone listening to is rose in harlem it's it's pretty poppy like it's it's a pretty it's not a standard pop song, but it has a melody that's very accessible without being something you've heard before. Um, I I think that she's like more than capable of of carrying her own album. Like I think this is worth a listen. I don't think it's super super special. How does it stand against like the Nas album or the Kanye album? Uh, I think it's. I mean, honest. The more I listen to Ye, the kind of the lower I go on it. I don't personally. I would still. I would put it around the level of Nas and Ye, where okay. like it's it's worth listening to, and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. But there's some also throwaway some, tracks. Yeah, it, the the thing with these albums is throwaway tracks mean a lot more when there's only eight or seven this, songs. Yeah, this is, you these know are 20, 22 minute yeah, albums. That's that's the issue is you can't have throwaway tracks if you already threw away all the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> like 
uh, that's why Daytona is so spe- special to me yeah. because it's exactly what this this thing should be. You yeah. know, I think Daytona is like the true special album that come out of these sessions. I, yeah, I mean, Kitsy ev- Ghost is probably up there lo- too. I mean, but- a lot of yeah, a lot of people are really into yeah. Kitsy Ghost. I think Daytona is kind of transcendent. I think. If you know, you know is my favorite song of the year so far. I don't know it's why. A it's, a, it's a awesome I, track. I don't know exactly what it is, but I listen to the song like every day. Maybe and you're twice excited a day. To, to. I I love it. I it never gets old. It. It's because of the. It, I mean, I know why. It's got an incredible beat and a non-traditional structure where the beat kicks in about a minute into the song, mm-hmm. and I just I'm always waiting. So where would you uh, put uh, KTSE ranked with the other Wyoming sessions? It's it's bottom three for sure. Um, I I probably have it right like, over Kanye. I probably have it around fourth, yeah, okay. something like that. Uh, but I mean, it depends on what you like because this is such a different style from any of the others. This is not a rap album. It's 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 so so different. Okay. Um, there's definitely some interesting ideas going on here, and I think that her future could be interesting. This isn't the most special project, but I, I like it. Well, I, and now that we're on the subject, Kanye is talking about putting out an album every single day, every single week for the next yeah. year. Okay, first of all, he shouldn't do that. <laughs> Those are going to dip in quality. So he didn't, he didn't put one out this Friday. Yeah. Because this one, Tiana Taylor came out last Friday. Yeah. I hope he doesn't do that. But the other rumor is that he, uh, and I don't, I think it's beyond a rumor at this point that he's putting out an album with Chance. Yeah. That's, no, that is beyond a rumor. Chance has actually said that he. He was in Wyoming. Yeah. He, he said that he did a seven track with Kanye and that he is working right now on an album with Childish Gambino. Yeah. But like he has to work around. Album. Donald but yeah, Glover's you got to work around. Crazy schedule. Donald Glover kind of has an insane schedule. Yeah. But I mean, I just, give me more chance to rapper like honestly Dude, like i just full think, kanye produced though that sounds i would insane. love that yeah i would absolutely i mean love as that. long as they still kind of keep like i don't want it to just be chance i still want the social experiment to be part of it because the social experiment is such mm-hmm. a big part of what makes chance yeah, who but, he is but they didn't have anything to do with ultralight beam and that's a fucking amazing song that yeah. chance just runs away with oh yeah. i mean yeah that's true i just i i of course i'm gonna be excited for anything that chance does i think that he's like he is at the pinnacle or he's just like riding this wave yeah. and he's been quiet since for coloring like book the better part of a year yeah yeah i mean he's just been unless some you're features, into but yeah that's that's about it unless you're into that dj khaled album <laughs> i just i yeah. just kind of hope he doesn't flame out um i re-listened to acid rap the other day and lyrically i don't expect him to ever even get close to that because that is one of the best lyrical albums of all time in that it has the the rhyme scheme of like the most complex rappers that like an Eminem or like a uh, someone someone like uh, Immortal Technique where like their entire thing is that they have rhyme schemes for yeah. days. Mm. Except it's not like those artists because those artists you can tell are just like sweating the lyrics. <laughs> he just he just throws off these rhymes like it's nothing yeah. in acid rap. That's why that album's so special to me because it and has this, the wordplay. Yeah, because it has this flippancy to it, but the complexity at the same time is the most interesting dichotomy to me. Um Coloring Book is still I, I really, really like that album. But, but he was he was trying to do something consciously different and specific as a specific deviation from like 10 day and acid rap like yeah. that was a conscious move on well, his yeah, part it, to move away from because i mean it wasn't a tape anymore like the beats and acid rap are incredible but they are for the most part just heavily based on hip-hop from the 90s yeah yeah so, i mean they're very much like kind of 
I mean, it's pre like SoundCloud rapper style, but I mean, they're not the most complex beats in the world or anything. No, like they're, that. they're literally just taking beats coloring and book and changing like them a little bit. I always say it, but like coloring book, every time I listen to the album, I feel like I'm like going to church. Like that's that is like a yeah. it's it's like a gospel type experience, like listening to coloring book, and I think that's what Chance was going for. When gospel that hop, album. gospel hop. Okay, well, coined it. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to what we've been watching with. Mission Impossible 3. Hey! And um, I will say, I know you've been on this journey alone, Ernest, um, but yeah. don't worry. Actually, Lee's been watching. She she saw all of them. Well, she couldn't do two. She couldn't. We watched, we watched the first two minutes. Too many she, doves. Ernest, yeah. if, you're, if you're not on this podcast, you're not canon to real life. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know who Lee is. Like, we need, you know, you're watching Bruce these Lee? alone. Have we even talked about Bruce Lee on this podcast? Yeah, if you're not on know. mic, you're alone. Well, she... She watched um, Mission Impossible 3 with me, and she didn't tap out at any point. Actually, no, she missed the last, like, 20 minutes. She fell asleep. But That's, like, the biggest part of the movie. <laughs> but she... Okay, I want to have her on this pod because if I get her to watch all of them leading up to Fallout, and then we see Fallout together, then she can give a very uh, significant counter to my take on these movies because I'm I'm all in on this <laughs> and and her take is like way more objective than mine you know like I I I am watching all of them leading up to Fallout like it's fucking Christmas or some shit you know and they're all essentially the same movie <laughs> although I am noticing now that I'm watching them all kind of in succession that they they're all like kind of their own separate movies. They're, they're well, they're all the kind of very similarly structured movies, but they're all very like tonally different. Like the the separation in terms of the angle that the director is taking all of these in is so different. You know, one, two, three, all directed by different people, all very different, even though it's essentially the same movie. Mm. You guys get what I'm trying to no, say? No, no, no. I, I understand what you're saying. And um, I just... So Mission Impossible 3, growing up as a kid, before we got these new Mission Impossible movies, Mission Impossible 3 was always my favorite. Yeah. Um, JJ, JJ, JJ's directorial yeah. movie debut. Like, this is the first movie he ever made. And you watch MI3, and you kind of say to yourself, like, well, whoever made this movie, they're going to be a movie star. And, like, he did. They're going to make a Star War. He's going to make a Star <laughs> War. Um, but, like, this movie is... You can tell... It's definitely, like, you can tell it's early on in his career just because he doesn't have quite the same ambition that mm-hmm. you think if he would have made this movie in 2018, there'd be a lot more camera movement and kind of that, like, floating camera trick that he does in a yeah. lot of his films, which this movie doesn't have as much of that. But... What it does make up for is the pace, the pacing, and I think that this has the best villain so far in this trilogy, Dude, without yeah. a doubt. But that's not because that's not really JJ that's as not JJ. much as it is Philip Seymour Hoffman, like hamming it up, dude. He's so into <laughs> this fucking character. It's it's essentially a a very generic villain. Mm. Like he's so generic, we don't even know like why he's a bad or what he wants or anything, but he sells it, dude. Like, yeah. he's so scary. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman is 
so so good you, a lot of the time yeah i know but a lot of the time when people die like they kind of get inflated posthumously yeah. how good they were he was legitimately one of like a top the top five actors of his yeah. time he was unbelievable yeah. no i mean and one thing that i think is really cool about uh mi3 is that it opens in what's essentially the climax of the movie mm-hmm. is we get this very very emotional crux of a scene is the opening scene of the movie and then the rest of it's kind of a flashback catching us up to that point yeah which is really really cool i mean of course it's not the first movie to ever do that but it's a good twist from what we've seen so far in these uh series of mission impossible movies that we're just kind of dropped right in there we don't know who this woman is we don't know who these characters are what it is that they're what is this rabbit's foot and the best thing about that is throughout the entire movie, you never learn what the rabbit's it's foot is. It's unimportant. Yeah, and that's it's just a MacGuffin. That's what's explained at the end of the movie is um, like Tom Cruise kind of says something just like, so like, what is the rabbit's foot? And he's just like, well, are you, if sign on uh, to complete stick the mission, around. stick around and we'll tell you. And he's just like, nope, never mind. And Get walks a away. And it's, yeah, he's just like, I'm going to go celebrate my honeymoon. And then walks <laughs> away. And it's like, that's Badass. the best way for this movie to end though yeah. is that – these movies don't take themselves seriously in any way, shape, or form. They're just good fun. And this movie is so much fun. Mm-hmm. The scene of them on the bridge where they have Philip Seymour Hoffman captured and then they break him out. Uh, the scene awesome in Shanghai. Scene. Like, there's so many great, great set pieces in this film. Yeah. And JJ shoots mainly in close ups mm-hmm. on this one. Um, he, Like you said earlier, he's not doing any crazy camera tricks. Um, and overall, like, you know, you're not getting the big stunt that these movies have known themselves for. I mean, and two, you have Tom Cruise, like, hanging off the side of a cliff. Like, he's he's mm-hmm. just kind of showing off at that point. <laughs> but in this movie, there's no instance where he's really doing that. It's It's a very straightforward, emotional story about him trying to save his wife. Like, that's really it. He just wants to save her life. And they both fucking sell it. Like Michelle Monaghan, every scene she's in, she's amazing. Yeah, she's great. It's just like what's otherwise just like a really generic character. Like what excels this movie is the acting. Yeah. Simon Pegg is introduced in this yeah. movie. Like Simon, we get the first little taste of him and yeah. he's just uh, amazing. Benji. Yeah, Benji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like it's just really elevated what are otherwise very two-dimensional characters by the people who are portraying these the, characters. The small moments of comedic banter between Tom Cruise and uh, Ving Rhames. Oh, man. Uh, with Luther. Like yeah. their friends friendship is developed even like the two generic uh side characters uh jonathan reese myers and and the the other girl like they're so inconsequential but they even their little moments of whenever they get a line it's like okay now i get a sense of like what this character is so it's like you have this very straightforward movie where they're just doing like you know things you've seen before in so many other movies uh, things you've seen before in the past two Mission Impossible movies, but in this one, it's like it's so fast-paced, and there's no time lost. There's no filler. It's all a hundred percent speed that you're completely entertained from start to finish. Yep. It's a great, great movie. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like it's like a it's like a strong seven. You know, I'm yeah. not going to pretend that it's, <laughs> it's like what a you, masterpiece. Well, you say it's a great, great what movie. The hell? I was going to say, I think that it yeah. is 
it's a great movie and like that it is it is I would say it's a great action movie. Yeah. It's not like a great film, but like this as is, far as just fun goes, like this movie doesn't like, does we can't, fun yeah, we like can't in pretend a that way. it's like a piece of art or anything no, like that. No. But it, that's exactly what, what you've do. both <laughs> been doing for the past ten minutes. No, no, I'm I'm <laughs> saying like I think it's a great action movie. As far as like modern action movies go, I'm talking like two thousand to present, like I do think that MI three is it's, it, I think it's great. I think it does its job really, really good. And I still haven't seen Rogue Nation, so I can't specifically oh, we're, speak we're on MI5. Yeah, yeah I, I know. I'm, I'm on the catch-up now. No, no. I thought but, no, you keep flipping them. You think you, I thought you said you didn't watch Ghost Protocol. I've seen four. That's oh, Ghost okay. Protocol. Okay. So okay. I you haven't keep, seen five. You keep saying one or the other. I don't know. They just have weird <laughs> titles and two-word things that shouldn't go together. No, I will say MI3 has some some cringy moments, as I think you should in a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> I think so far there's a lot of like hammy dialogue. There's one moment where Tom Cruise like scales up a wall and he like lays on top of the wall and he turns to the camera and he's like, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. <laughs> oh my fucking God. <laughs> I, I love that scene. Are you just kidding me? stupid it was <laughs> i just but there's little moments like that where this movie you can tell he, they just wait, don't he says care. it to the camera it it's doesn't not look into okay. the it lens. doesn't look into the camera but he has like the earpiece in or whatever oh, yeah yeah he's talking <laughs> basically God. to the camera it's a it's a really close-up shot yeah and he so. yeah he looks at us and he goes oh geez folks <laughs> am i right um all right well next week we'll we'll keep talking leading up to to fallout but guys Westworld wrapped up last week, and no! yeah, you get. Do you guys just want to go ahead and spoil everything for me so I don't ever well, have Drew, to watch the show? Drew hasn't again? caught up yet, dude. Have you? No, I, dude. I okay, the thing with Westworld, uh, it's a chore. I infamously, as everyone knows, I infamously switched my position on Westworld. It was akin to. Like, Turns out I was right all along. Yeah, it Turns was, out I was the sheep who was dreaming. It was. Okay. It was a huge thing. Everyone's talking about it, and I. I'm not going back on it. It's. I think West with a show like Westworld, it really is a switch that flips. Like you have to be a hundred percent in on Westworld. No, be- I'm be- not. I I have I have to be because it's so enveloping and there's so much to remember that if you're even a little doubtful of whether or not you should, you just don't want to put it on. Oh yeah, I mean you if know? you if you watch this show, I I can't imagine being someone who like just puts on a casual TV show on Sunday night and watches yeah. Westworld and doesn't like read up on it or listen to a podcast on it or anything like that i don't imagine there being a person like that that enjoys the show well, and understands even, it not even from a casual perspective though just from a perspective like i watch tv like i really watch it and it's just the fact that there's now a seed in my mind of like there's a good chance i'm going to put this on it's going to take up a lot of mental energy and i'm not going to enjoy it yeah. it's going to take up a lot of time to too yeah. like that's that yeah, it's it's really a show you got to be all in on because I I was thinking about watching it and then I was like no and then I rewatched Arrival this week instead. Oh, yeah, and that's a better nice. choice. That's a better use of your time. Like, yeah, it really that's, was. That's the point where I got to like early like the first little bit. I kind of chugged through it to get up to like see episode five and at that point I was like this show isn't fun anymore for me. This fun yeah. this show is a chore and like I'm not saying every show needs to be fun. Like I watch plenty of other TV shows aren't just like stupid dumb fun that if they're actually mentally engaging and there's something that I can 
I feel like I'm immersed in the world or whether I'm with the characters. There's just some aspect that keeps me coming towards the show and I'm just well, on the show. So. The, the thing is, I'm not I'm not out on Westworld. I'm going to finish it and I know that the end of the season is going to be better than the beginning because that's how Westworld works. Yeah. It's all Dude, it's the, all it's a machine. The finale is absolutely nuts. Like I I bet. I don't want to spoil anything cuz I know you want to finish it, but it, it it really it makes you realize that uh Lisa Joy and, not, and Jonathan um Nolan are maybe not completely sure of what they're doing with this show. <laughs> I and, knew that immediately. <laughs> but but like you you like you really get the sense in this last episode that they're like trying to shift gears in a really really dramatic way uh, to the point that like season three i'm almost like really kind of excited and curious as to what's going to happen in season three because it could really there's so many different ways that they can go now with what happens in this finale but um overall i think that the finale it's it's a 90 minute episode and it um it introduces so many ideas and crazy concepts that i really just marvel at this at at the ambition of this show it doesn't it doesn't really work as well as they want it to but the reason why i'm still in is because there's no other show on tv that's doing this crazy weird shit that's operating at this level with this budget and and tackling these like really heady concepts and and ideas um it sucks that it's not a better show but you know that's it's it's just the nature of 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 TV, you know. It's it, you can't expect every show to be fucking perfect. Like they're they're making something that is highly highly ambitious, and they're falling short. But at least they're like trying to do something different. I and, I did want to ask you this since you have finished the season, Drew. I don't know how much you've seen of this season of the latter half. You but, you still um, have eight, nine, and ten, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. So. There is, okay, like, of course, we all know Westworld attempts to tackle all these different high-concept things, whether it's AI or just kind of what it means to be human. All these, like, very vast, intricate concepts. Does it ever actually dive in in any kind of a significant way, or does it keep things surface level? Because that's one of the things that yep. drove me insane, was that it tries to make an attempt at, like, being 20 different shows but it's very surface level on everything well i i really think that that has been a defining aspect of the second season because in the first season you had an introduction to this new exciting interesting show that was gonna set itself up to really dive into topics like consciousness Mm -hmm. so that was like a big big idea in season one and i think people thought that Westworld was going to be about that, about tackling these big ideas and going deep. And season two proves that they're not really interested in doing that. And they're more interested in like playing with, with people, with audiences and like tricking them and confusing them and trying to create entertainment out of like trickery and confusion. Um, I personally don't really have a problem with that because I'm just letting them make the show that they want. It just sucks when you expected the show to be one thing and it turns out that they're trying to do something else. So no, it's not 
diving deep into anything. It's just kind of like tackling a bunch of crazy, weird, intensely sci-fi shit and trying to just make like good TV out you of it You should have just told me that uh, they do, but it's only in the last five minutes of the finale, so you have to watch up to that point. So then no, would no. The, dude, the last it. five minutes of the finale are... Is it good or bad? You just keep saying it's nuts and it's crazy, but is it a good way or a bad way? Um, I mean, that's, you're, a, good, you're that's really, a good question. You're really I, winning Hunter over yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, I was going to say, you're like, killing it. I thought you were going to try and give no, me a pitch okay. on why I should get back on the train no, for this no, no, show. No, I'm not going to do that because <laughs> it's basically there's a lot of aspects that are bad. There's a lot of moments where the dialogue is just very very shitty like just horrible heavy exposition really clunky clunky dialogue but there's these moments of like absolute brilliance just these moments where the show just really gets to you in it, whether it's it's a, an emotional moment that works or a really striking visual image oh, yeah. or a really uh inventive way to to, to, to bring a point across about a really uh, uh, sci-fi heavy concept. Like, I, I there's think, moments where the show really shines. I think the best example of exactly what you're saying is the episode that keeps on cutting in between the flashbacks to old Mr. Delos, the robot, in, oh, that's in, in the cube room. and then yeah. it, But then it keeps on cutting over to Dolores doing some boring shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, and it's like they, they just don't know what they have. They don't know what is the best part. That's my problem with the entire show is that I've, I've never – I would never say this – that Westworld is completely bad in all aspects. I do think that there are moments of true brilliance, but it's just such a polarizing show from multiple perspectives where they have the most interesting things and then you just don't care about this other thing, but they're giving equal weight to both of these things. And it just, it's, they don't, I seems, it seems like you are kind of, agreeing with what my thought was that they don't know what they were doing. Like that sounds about right. They just yeah. don't know yeah. how to handle running the show. And it's point. crazy because this is such an expensive show to make that it seems like HBO might be dipping their hand into the production a little bit and taking a lot of the critical feedback and maybe the ratings dipped a little bit and they might have a say in the direction of the show. And maybe it's not just, uh, Joy and, and Nolan not knowing what to do, but maybe just having like a top down mandate from HBO to kind maybe, of like maybe, rework things. Maybe that's for the best, to be honest. Like that's not always it's usually to not scale back. It's usually not what you want to see because of course I would never be somebody who wants to take away power from the creator, but like sometimes if it makes for a better show, then it makes for a better show. Yeah. I, I just again I'll reiterate like there there's no other show on TV like this. Even though it's not the 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 masterpiece that a lot of people thought it was going to be i think it's still worth it in my opinion to to keep giving it a chance because i'm not personally expecting anything more than just like weird shit like i'm i'm no longer in a place where i'm thinking that whoa this show is going to like really be intellectually profound week to week uh yeah i'm not i'm not out on westworld um even though I have like an impulse to be uh, for that reason. I think that there's still, it's like, 
this happens in music a lot of the time. There will be a, a song where they just don't realize that the verses are bad and the chorus is like incredible. And it's like, just, just work it around the chorus, make it, mm. it it's, it's really a similar problem. And then even in the context of an album, there will be like one certain sound that they have for three songs. And it's like, that's the best sound. And then the rest of the album is just mm-hmm. something totally different. Yeah. Um, I really think that this show, it, it kind of said it, it kind of dug its own grave because I thought, I really think the first season was incredibly strong. It's set really a high bar. Yeah. And the budget's incredibly strong and the premise is incredibly strong and the network is incredibly strong. The acting, the the, the star power of these people. It's set a high bar and it had expectations going in. Um, I can see both sides of the the coin. I can see why, you know, the reasons to stick around. I'm going to stick around, but I also will not try to stop people from jumping off the ship. I'll, you know, I'll let you jump. Oh off yeah. The ship. No, I totally get why people hate this. I can, I can see it. I'm not going to convince anyone otherwise because I, I see the opportunity there. Like you watch this show and you see these moments. Yeah. You roll your eyes could, sometimes where they You're could, like, they could really just take this and explore it more and give us more character, give us more emotion, really just take the time to have us care about what we're watching because when at any point any character could be a different character or they could die and come back as a robot why the fuck would you care you're not you're not going to care about anything but i really i really do think that it's it's still something they're still doing something special with the show even though it's not perfect and you know we live in a time when like we see a lot of really really fucking good tv and we see shows like game of thrones at its peak that's a great example where they just make it look easy they make it look easy to put you in this fantasy world and sell it and with a show like westworld the seams start to show because it is so ambitious and they don't pull it off as flawlessly and it and and you start to see like oh it's just it's just a tv show it's just actors acting on a set yeah it's hard it's really hard to be consistent that's why a show kind of like like breaking bad that just kept the level up to 10 for like Mm -hmm. that's that's almost impossible and elevating itself yeah that's so hard it's it's hard already to make a thing that they're doing it on this scale with this much ambition i i still gotta appreciate that even though they are dropping the ball a little bit okay Okay. Uh, let's take a break. Okay. And when we get back, we're gonna have a little. We're gonna have a little bit of Drew's obscure comedy corner. Ooh, hey. wee baby. Be right back. really fun thing to do is to go to letterbox and go to jurassic world fallen kingdom and then go to people that have given it like a five stars review oh so someone boy. just said i'd like to personally thank ja bayona for having so many close-ups on bryce's face five stars that has to be a joke right I don't know. I mean, there's no way that there's more close-ups on that than there is in the first Jurassic World movie. Of so many lip quivers in the first Jurassic World movie, it's it's just 
unbearable. Oh, no. They're like, well, we can't express the same level of wonder, so we're going to have every other character act like they're like, this is the coolest thing they've ever seen, even though they work around these dinosaurs. Someone someone said, fuck yeah, dinosaur emoji. <laughs> Dino- <laughs> dinosaurs ate people. Five stars. Outrageously fun, per se. Per se? Per se? That's the wrong use of that. Quite, <laughs> quite good, actually. I hope they continue the franchise. Outrageously Five stars. fun. Pun intended. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yes. There are, this movie has so many five-star reviews. Yeah, it what does. The hell? Danny gave it, Never thought I'd get emotional and cry over dinosaurs, yet here I am. Dinosaur emoji. This girl at my work was, I just overheard a conversation the other day. She was, like, really passionately recommending Bright to another. No! <laughs> oh, no. No, I hope you stepped in. No, Did I didn't. You? No, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to walk and be like, actually, it's bad. Sorry. Actually, you're a shit person. You can go kill yourself. Yeah. No, I'm not going to be like Partner, that. no! <laughs> I, like, tackled, yeah, I, like, tackle her. <laughs> Partner, no! Oh, okay. Oh, we're, we're back. Um... If anyone out there at home wants to know why we're not reviewing Day of the Soldado, Day of um, the Soldado. Okay, wait. First of all, they're not wondering that at all. <laughs> they're like, don't yeah. worry, it is coming next week. I will see Sicario Day of the Soldado. Yeah, apparently the movie is very sensitive to the border crisis we're experiencing in our country right now. Or very insensitive to the border crisis. Yeah, bet, you could dude. Say. No, dude. I'm, I'm trying to say that the movie tackles the topic in a very thoughtful way, mm-hmm. and it really is. It's very nuanced in its attention to. A careful attention to detail. Yeah, that Donald Trump cameo in it is amazing. Though. Yeah, he's like, um, what's the what is his famous quote from his campaign trail? They're uh, they're You're hired. <laughs> they're uh, they're rapists and murderers. Isn't that what he said about <laughs> yeah. Mexican yeah. people? I, actually, yeah, I have I have some alarming statistics. One hundred percent of people in Mexico are in MS thirteen. Oh yeah, that was the other oh, thing. No. Yeah. It's like these six year old children that yep. we're putting in concentration camps are all gang members. They're all MS thirteen. <laughs> it's sad, but that's just the way it goes down there, man. Oh boy, kill me. All right, well let's talk movies, y'all. <laughs> uh, oh well, wait, TV. Yeah, 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 we're still on TV. TV movies. So yeah, this I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little episode. I gotta you know I gotta stay on brand. I gotta do my obscure comedy that no one else cares about or watches. Um, just to keep up appearances, you know, people are relying on that for me. Last week I did get the Gary Shandling mm-hmm. documentary. That was a big. Did you hit. ever watch part two yet? No, okay. <laughs> no, I didn't. At some point. Um, yeah, I'm assuming it's going to be on par with part one. Uh, but anyway, uh, I mentioned this show in passing. I think I was referring to it to compare it a little bit to John Mulaney's stand up, which is uh, you know obviously a high compliment. Uh, this show is called Eight Out of Ten Cats Does Countdown. The, it's it's a mouthful of a name. It's a British variety comedy game show. Um, the reason it's called that is because it is the core uh, cast of it is these three comedians, a host and two players who were originally on a different British show called Eight Out of Ten Cats. I did research on this, mm-hmm. um, which was like it's like a topical British show. Apparently, it's funny, but it's too topical to Britain that I can't watch it without like it's too much. You know, I don't understand what the, the yeah. jokes they're making. It's all jokes based on it's like the Daily Show, but over there kind of something like that. Okay. Um, but this show is uh. 
8 out of 10 cats does countdown countdown is a british game show that is apparently an institution in britain it's been around for like 30 years apparently um and so this is the cast of the other show and they decided they were going to do countdown and i don't know how it was back 30 years ago i don't know if it was like this comedic but this is like a really raunchy really funny game show in britain like past prime time past like 8 p.m they're allowed to say whatever they want on tv there's there's no censorship there's no they can whatever theme they want they can get super super raunchy um so it's just it's really uninhibited the reason i compared it to john mulaney is because uh the american school of comedy tends to be i think i said this it tends to be more personality based and not joke based um which can be really really good there are plenty of comedians who coast on that and it's no problem at all for me um but at the end of the day i really appreciate a well-crafted joke i like i like wit and that is what this show brings to the table british comedy is notoriously witty sometimes to a fault but this show is just funny funny people making like actual jokes not just like not just being a you know a certain viewpoint right um so the main three people on it are are jimmy carr the host who if you you probably know who he is. If you look him up, you'll recognize him. Mm. He's a he's a British comedian. He's like super. His his comedy is super super dark, um, but he's the host of this game show, so that's kind of funny. Uh, and then these two comedians who no American on earth would know, named Sean Locke and John Richardson, who are just hilarious. It's really interesting to me who travels to America, like which British comedians really make the transfer. Like Gervais successfully did it. Like we know his name. And that's more than most of these guys can say. But there's essentially they're, they're the two team captains and then they each have another comedian on their team. It's And it rotates every episode. So I've gotten to know like the, the whole British comedy scene and it's just fascinating. Nice. These, these people are just like plenty funny. Like they're so, so funny. But no one will ever know their name in America just because they didn't, you know, they didn't have the connections or whatever and they just didn't come over here. Mm. Um but anyway, I I really really like this show. I, it's it's kind what of what are you a, watching on? It's on YouTube. There's oh. you can find like a hundred episodes on YouTube for free, full episodes. It's a weekly show or daily? I don't I don't know how it goes. I'm I'm. It's probably weekly because it has a lot of production value for a game show. It's not like a Jeopardy where it's just straightforward trivia. Mm-hmm. There are comedy segments in this show. Like it's it's very comedy based. It's very joke based. Um, there are like bits. It's not just like off the cuff, even though there is a lot of off the cuff humor. Yeah. Is it like improv style? It's like, a lot of it. Is, like whose line almost? Well, the, kind of, the game. That's the thing. The games of it are. That's another reason I love the show because they're actually pretty hard. It's not like. It's not like Jimmy Fallon throwing water on people. Well, yeah, and it's and it's not like whose line where the game is to be funny. It's not yeah. like that. Like they're actually playing a game. Like one of there's a word segment and there's a number segment. The number portion is very very difficult. Like you you can play along in your head and it's like you're you're given like six numbers and you have to use simple math to transform them into a random number that that's like eight hundred and forty six or something. And it's it's and you only have like fifteen seconds. It's really difficult. Oh my god. Um and they, they yeah they kind of rarely get it uh right and it's that's kind of refreshing because uh a show like Wheel of Fortune in America I hate. Um, because it's the, because of the wheel aspect of it, it's very luck based, and then no one is funny on it either, and it gives a lot of time for the contestants to talk. Jeopardy is my all time favorite game show because it's just like it's all business, mm-hmm. like and it's funny unintentionally all the time. Yeah, <laughs> because everyone on there is a nerd, and Alex is an asshole. Alex Trebek <laughs> is the reason why that show is amazing. Um, but this show it, it mixes like good quality games. The other is it's kind of like a word like re, uh, letters are selected at random, and whoever can. P- 
pick out the yeah, the biggest word possible yeah. out of those letters wins. Well, I, we should make it clear, though, if anyone at home is lost, there are no cats involved. No, none at all. Yeah. I'm sorry. As, if you were I'm trying, out. If you were trying to, like piece things together uh, yeah no cats it's just comedians yeah and it's super british and that is a hill you have to get over i showed that i showed this show to my uh family because we're all big jeopardy nerds and it took a minute just because it's kind of jarring because it's it's just a whole different kind of pace and style of comedy than you get in america mm-hmm. um but once you get past that it's genuinely really really funny everyone on the show is having a good time are there any um like big similarities at all to like whose line well yeah there's similarities to that but more so america tries to do variety shows the way that britain does britain is kind of the master of those shows they like shows like the graham norton show which is a talk show but it's so much better than any american talk Mm show um i'm trying to it's like it's like the old school like password type shows where it would be Uh, yeah it would be like funny people and it would be more about them joking around but then there's also a real game to play it's (laughs) it's like that and it's just, I don't know, It for some reason it just surprised me. I thought that there would be more kind of intermingling of our comedy scenes. And I've been introduced to probably a hundred different names I didn't know that are all like more than uh, competent at comedy. And I, I mean, I... That's what I'm into, so that's why and they I like all the show. they all work in like British TV. Yeah, or yeah, they they're yeah, they're TV stars or just stand up comedians or they're around. Sometimes Americans go over there. I just saw an episode that had Michelle Wolf on it. Oh, oh yeah, okay. so you, you definitely get some some Americans on there, but it's just it's interesting because it's it's a good window into like it's like a parallel universe over there in Britain. Do you, you know what I mean? Do you go back and try to find like old clips of people that have blown up recently? Um, no. No, <laughs> but it's a great show to just put, it's like a YouTube playlist of like 80 videos. It's so good to have in the background hmm. because it's it's really engaging and funny if you actually want to watch it. And then also you just don't you don't have to watch it because it's not a plot. OK, um, that's that's what I use it for. It's it's a really, really good like median show. I think it's super enjoyable. I was just I was really surprised by it. I don't know. OK, you know, um hmm. You just made me think of something that, like, YouTube is a great platform for, like, queuing up certain things and, like, curating different things to watch that, like, no other service has. Like, does Hulu have a queue? Can you queue up things? I don't think so. I I don't know. Imagine if if, if you could make playlists on Netflix. I don't know why you can't, That'd be so cool. Yeah, it it is really good. I would do, like, an Always Sunny Arrested Development Office playlist. Yeah. That would be dope. That would... I mean, that could be an expansive thing for netflix in the yeah. future because it's it would add a social element if you could share those playlists yeah because you know? it wouldn't be a thing i feel like it would only work though really with comedies because it's not like you'd just be like all right i want to go from watching mad men to breaking bad yeah. to this other like yeah. it's like one of those things where comedies that don't follow any kind of a linear story well, episode it would, to episode it would it work uh, so. i mean it would work best with movies yeah or with movies yeah, 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 just, yeah that's like it. you just share playlists with your friends of movies on netflix that are in the specific yeah that would come on netflix get on it yeah and i think those guys are a bunch of clowns over there yeah. <laughs> what are you doing smoking big cigars <laughs> all right let's uh let's move on to a little bit more tv um this is something that i've been watching before we get to hunter stuff uh not going to dwell on this too much, but I started the new season of Preacher on AMC. So AMC has brought us shows like Breaking Bad and Mad Men and our baby darling, Halton Catch Fire. I so, thought you were going to say The Walking Dead. Oh, 
Uh, I thought you were going to say the Talking Dead. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Fucking Hardwick. Um. Anyway. Oh, I think there was also a talking preacher, but really, yeah. Oh, oh, he had I a talking. He had a talking for like every except talking halt, except except talking to his freaking girlfriend. You know what talking? <laughs> oh my god! You know what talking halt and catch fire was? It was our podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. talking halt. Yeah, that's um, why. That's why we have so many listeners. Yeah. Thank you guys for sticking around. Talk, talk and catch fire. Yeah, and we're back. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, preacher based on the big uh novel from like the 90s um by garth ennis is a story i I don't know if i brought it up on the pod before but it's a story of a of a super powered preacher who is endowed with the word of god he has essentially like the power of persuasion like uh david tennant's character Mm -hmm. and jessica jones and he's out on a quest to find god god is missing from heaven and he takes it upon himself to find him but there's so many other layers to this story. It's unbelievably crazy and out there. And they're doing justice to the book um, while still making their own story and being creative and still keeping uh, book readers like me. Like I know the whole story. I'm still intrigued as to what they're going to do with this version, this TV version um seth rogan and evan goldberg are the executive producers Mm -hmm. and you have sam catlin who worked on uh breaking bad in there as well so this is the third season uh and it's pretty deep into the book at this point because season one kind of established the show on its own without really tackling much of what happens in the book there was one couple little plot points in there that they got from like later on in the series uh, but now that it's in its third season, they're like really diving into the story, and I fucking love this show. It's it's gory, it's unique, it's creative, it's violent, it's funny. Um, it it kind of does everything in 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 this juggling act of just style and comedy and gore and violence, and it tackles topics like religion and destiny and. Uh, even like friendship and love it, it it's 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 this it, this grab bag of themes and and weird shit that just all mm. comes together and works in a really really is it really good is way. it great yeah i'd yeah. say it's I've, great i mean it's not like it's not like the leftovers it was in like your last it was in your last your uh top 10 of last year yeah, wasn't it, it yeah made it up there, i've yeah. always wanted to check out preacher because i feel like it's, it's on something hulu. i'd be really into but yeah it is on hulu okay yeah. so maybe i can try and catch up on that instead of catching up on westworld it's yeah oh yeah <laughs> it's definitely better than westworld it's so entertaining the performances are really great the dynamic between the main characters is really strong uh it, it just it's really good you know it's it's pretty out there in terms of like what it's doing there's some weird shit in this show that you don't see anywhere else and it's very very comic booky so if you're looking for a a a show to watch and you don't mind like uh obscenity and violence and gore and language and all this shit watch preacher man it's great it's it it's not really holding anything back it's not if you're easily offended don't watch it but if you're (laughs) trying to to really watch something creative and unique and uh, uh, you know, morally challenging. Is it a going to bit? insult my Christian upbringing? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Uh, <laughs> excitedly it so. It, it'll do it with glee. 
Are you yeah. sub- like? It seems like that's kind of well. I mean, AMC's never really been a network to shy away from taking risks, but that does seem kind of like a risky show to put on yeah. like a well-regarded network. Let, let me tell you, there in season two, they introduce a plot line where um, there is this organization called the Holy Grail, and they are guarding what what the Holy Grail essentially is. And th- this is a mild, mild spoiler, but the 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 grail the holy grail is jesus's bloodline it's his descendants and that's what they're they're guarding and what you see is not what you expect whoa damn i I need to check the show out i've heard about that i know what you're talking about it's yeah yeah, it's out there man and it works and this show just like set in this first episode of season three we see a uh their version of purgatory because one character dies um and we see them uh uh we see them in, in purgatory like awaiting judgment and how they show purgatory is something so creative that I've never seen before. Like how many times have you seen like a version of purgatory in in the show, like them trying to, to give you this idea of, of like some sort of afterlife and you see, you see hell. There's, there's a character in the show who blew off his own mouth by trying to kill himself with a, by shooting himself in the face with a shotgun and he blew off his mouth. So his mouth looks like an asshole. So his name is arse face and he ends up in (laughs) hell and he has a whole plot line in season two where he's just like in hell chilling with Hitler I'm and like it. a whole subplot of like our space and Hitler. I'm pretty into that. So it's, yeah, it's out there, dude. I, I love it. It's great. It's great. I'm, I'm really into this show. Um, but yeah, I'll keep touching on it as it airs okay. it's Sunday nights on AMC yeah. preacher. Okay. okay. So a big movie came out this weekend. It's, it's breaking records all over the place. It's fucking up our summer movie wager. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's It's, going to, it's going to be a chart topper. And and it wasn't, it wasn't day of the Soldado. Yeah. (laughs) It was. Is it actually, is it actually doing well? It actually is doing like pretty decent. I was just, I was just kidding. Um, (laughs) it's making like $500 right now. So yeah. And it's Um, uncle drew. Yeah. Uncle drew Kyrie Irving's uncle drew. So this is a bit that Kyrie actually started before he became a professional basketball player. Um, just a little bit. Kyrie Irving is a professional basketball player, by the way. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know this, but, um, I like basketball. Um, and I am a Boston Celtics fan and he of course plays for my beloved Celtics. So I had to go check this movie out. Um, he used to do this shtick whenever he was like 18 years old where he would put on like old people, like old man kind of makeup, like wig and then little like uh, mustache beard kind of thing and just kind of act like an old man. Go to like a court, go to like Rucker Park because he's from um, he's from New York City. So he would go to these like street ball courts and then just like fucking school a bunch of kids and then Sprite learned about it. And it was, they- it was Pepsi. Pepsi. Okay, excuse me. Pepsi learned about it, and Pepsi started doing this series of like commercials starring Uncle Drew, where he would just go to like some random court and just be like acting like an old man. And then he would school people. And they are the ads were like when I was in high school, I thought they were really funny because they Pepsi makes it appear to be very genuine and real, and it's it's not. Uh, cause if you watch it, everyone in the stands is like just holding a Pepsi, which it's not, it's not what you're holding in Rucker Park (laughs) or anywhere. Um, they're still, they're still pretty, I mean, they're amusing. It's, it was an amusing ad campaign. They really, they kind of went all out. Pepsi did. They introduced new characters with other professional basketball players like Kevin Love, like Shaq, a bunch of people got involved with this campaign. Mm 
Um, it kind of had like a life of its own, like because you know ads are on YouTube now, so it wasn't just like you had to wait on TV to hopefully see right. it. It was it was stuff that you would find online a lot. Um, so this movie came out uh, basically as kind of stepped off of this whole like commercial line that we have that kind of blew up and became kind of an internet sensation, and the cast is full of well-known current and former NBA players. Um, Kyrie Irving is of course the star Shaq is in here, Nate Robinson in a role in which he says like two lines, the entire movie, um, Reggie Miller's in here, Chris Weber and, uh, Aaron Gordon actually plays a very significant role in this why movie is, why is he as like that? the big bad. Well, okay. So I was thinking about that first and it took me a second, but just look at Aaron Gordon. He has the ultimate street ball body of, he's like six, eight. He's like fucking jacked and yeah. uber athletic, but he's not necessarily a great basketball player. He must, like, that's, I mean, he must have a good agent. Yeah, that too. Um, but also, uh, the big bad of this movie is Nick Kroll, our boy. He's yeah, in there yeah. just being oh. zany as hell. Yeah, he's been doing a lot of promo on been his socials. super yeah. over the top in a really fun way. Um, Lisa Leslie, the famous WNBA player, is in there. I wish that Nick um, Kroll would be Ref Jeff in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> his character from Kroll Show. Um, but uh, really, the big star of this movie that I wasn't expecting is Lil Ray Howery um, from Get Out. Yeah, yeah. And he actually is like kind of the main protagonist of this movie like co-protagonist with uncle drew um he definitely gets the most screen time in the entire movie which that's a good thing yeah and (laughs) i mean he's good like he's genuinely good one thing that's funny is um they're going out to like pick up these crew of like old people who like used to play with uncle drew back in the day and they're like driving through the woods or something and he makes like a joke he's just like oh you take me back out here in the woods i've seen get out i know how this is gonna go uh, <laughs> it's like yeah you were, you were that guy and get out um but one of the funniest things about this movie is there's a lot of very like meta basketball humor which is kind of only meant there for like if mm. you know basketball like the best joke in the entire movie comes at the end of this series they're playing a tournament in Rucker Park whatever it's generic sports movie kind of stuff but um Chris Weber's in there as old person makeup and Uncle Drew goes up to me he's just like it's the end of the game you know we're out of timeouts no. right we're out of timeouts he's like no I thought we had one left oh dude it's really funny just because of course Chris Weber is known for calling a timeout when they were out of timeouts in the national championship <laughs> game back in the 90s yeah and he, so, and he never lived it down and he's always been salty about it that's, that's good that he he did that the because, fact that they uh, poked fun at that was yeah, really funny well, yeah because I love Chris Weber and he's hilarious uh, and he always has been but he always has that stain on his career and it's but i mean there's multiple that's just like one of them there's multiple like good basketball jokes there's a few in there with Shaq, of course um nate robinson just because he's like like fucking like five foot four or something yeah (laughs) he's like five nine but he like has like insane dunking ability and all this shit and it's overall like i just thought this was a really fun movie like this is it was better than i expected it to be like I would rather watch this more so than the next movie that I'm going to talk about because this All movie right. was at least Lead like it, it. it was a fun time. It's not by no means a good movie, but it's enjoyable. Before we move on, um, just want to plug my tweet that I had about this movie. <laughs> this, we're reaching new lows on the pod today. <laughs> This might be the greatest tweet ever made. Um, this is a shout out to all my Orlando Magic fan out there. Um, we really have reached the pinnacle of CGI. How else can you explain Aaron Gordon making a consistent jump shot? 
And then this is that's where we're gonna throw in like, <laughs> and a cricket and like a fart and like the sound of people Insert leaving. Insert soundbar there. Maybe an air horn. Yeah. And speaking of jumping. I also uh, <laughs> jumped into a rewatch of Jurassic World. Man, you got to tweet that one, man. <laughs> oh this boy, just comes out of you. So, um, I thought that I thought that you I was going to have to sit through. as you press play. Yeah, leapt right from the theater. Space Jam reached my arm for like miles to grab my house, to grab my Blu-ray. To insert Jurassic World in. Oh, you you player. own this movie? Yeah, so I bought Jurassic World at a pawn shop like a few <laughs> years ago. Um, okay, I want to preface this by saying I wanted to rewatch Jurassic uh-huh. World before we seeing Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom because I don't didn't remember a single thing that happened in that movie. I just remember thinking like that was fine, and then I don't remember anything that happened. I was like, there's a big genetic dinosaur and they get loose, and then that was all that I knew, and. <sighs> this movie is rough, guys. Yeah, like dude. this, th- I don't hate this movie. Um, I do absolutely despise like the first act of this movie is fucking horrendous. Yeah. Before I get into that, I want to talk about a couple of things that I think that this movie did have some good ambition. Like I feel like under a better suitor than Colin Trevorrow, this could have they could have yeah. done something the with park this. Park is open. It's a good concept. Well, it's the same concept that they've done for three other movies. But aside from that, like, they're trying to make these, like, meta jokes throughout the beginning of the movie, talking about how just, like... Oh, it's like a corporate about cash About the failure grab. thing. Yeah, and they're just like, what, we're going to name the the next dinosaur the Verizon Velociraptor, like, exhibit, and, like, stuff like that, where it's, like, very much kind of poking fun that they're only bringing this back because it's making all this money and everything, just like how Jurassic World was only brought back to make money. And... I feel like it could have really been like making a good commentary, but then they go on to do all of the things that they were originally like poking it fun at doing. That, it. Yeah. yeah, and like you watch it, and also it's very clunkily delivered as well. So that kind of takes away from it. I just, I just don't know why this script is fucking horrendous. It makes who are otherwise good actors horrible actors. Like the guy from um from Love Simon is in here, um, Nick Robinson, who thank God I didn't recognize him whenever I saw Love Simon because I would have been like that guy is horrendous in Jurassic World. Yeah, but Love Simon he's a great actor. Like Bryce Dallas Howard, she's a good actress. Chris Pratt, he's a great actor. Like there are these people who have talent, but they're just reduced to the worst worst possible roles in this movie yeah i i just remember this i only saw it the one time in the theater i remember it being so bland so damn like uh just forgettable yeah it's it's i immediately forgot about it like that's i i i honestly i i remember being a little sad when you see the big like CGI doors opening into this big CGI park and John Williams score swelling Welcome in the background. To Jurassic Park. And it's like, oh, this I'm just looking at computers and nothing so, is real. So so fake. Um I wanted to before I like because we were kind of talking a little bit off mic about this that uh shout out to Patrick Willems on YouTube. He did Great a whole vi- a whole video essay on why the Jurassic Park sequels fail. And his whole point basically is that 
um, the first Jurassic Park movie had this whole sense of wonder to it where you're all experiencing this for the first time. The first time you hear that John Williams score is when you actually see the dinosaur Mm -hmm. and it feels like something that's transcendent. Even watching it now, you still get that same feeling of wonder. Despite if you're like me, I've seen the Jurassic Park Dozens of times at this point throughout my life. I'm gonna but, I'm gonna rewatch it soon because it just got put on uh, on Netflix again. Oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's I wanted, and the problem with these sequels is that they never really have that same sense of wonder. They try and send new people to the park, so it's like, oh, you're see- they're seeing it for the first time, but we as an audience aren't seeing it for right. the first time. So instead, they're trying to make it into a monster movie which is essentially what the first Jurassic Park movie is. I mean, uh, at surface level, Jurassic Park is like a B-level monster movie, but it but has this Spielberg. sense of wonder and Spielbergianness to it that elevates it to a whole nother level. Where Jurassic World does succeed for the most part is whenever it just doesn't take itself seriously and it just has dinosaurs fighting dinosaurs, which is sad. That says how bad, like how not great of a movie it is. Yeah. Hey, um, you have... Um What's his name? Uh, Jimmy um, Hula? No. What's Jimmy, Jimmy Hula. Hula. <laughs> Jimmy Hula. The dude. Oh, fuck. The, uh, Tommy Bahama. <laughs> Jimmy <laughs> what? Hula. Isn't it Tom? What's this dude's name? The guy running with the, mar- <laughs> with the margaritas. About? I don't think it's Tommy Bahama either. <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio? <laughs> no. There's this, there's this one shot of this. Of this uh, oh, motherfucker. I. I. Yeah. I forgot his name. Isn't it Tommy Bahama? No. That's a line of like mid-tier old man clothing. <laughs> yeah, that's not what you're thinking of. Um, Jimmy uh, Margaritaville. Uh, Jimmy okay. Buffett. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett. All right. This is not going anywhere. So, um, all right. So I did want to say uh, there is a specific scene that happens in Jurassic World. Have you ever seen Jurassic World? No. I, I never wanted to. I don't, still don't want to. It's great. You should check it out. No. Um, there's a scene where the pterodactyls Jimmy Buff- get... It is Jimmy Buffett. Oh, well, they look... Margaritaville? Was... Yeah. What are you trying to say? He grabs... I... He's in the movie. He grabs two margaritas running away from Jimmy the... Buffett's in the movie? Yeah. Jimmy... Okay, Jimmy Fallon is also in the movie. Yes, in the, in the instructional video. Yeah, Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Buffett are in this movie. So that tells you all you need to know about its quality. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, there's a... Uh, there's a point in the movie where the pterodactyls get get free and it looks so fucking bad. Like the pterodactyls get free and of course like the crowds the whole um all the guests in the park are like running around like crazy and the pterodactyls are like picking up people and then just like dropping them, picking them up and <laughs> dropping them. I was audibly like laughing out loud. Like there was nobody in my house and I was like covering my mouth cuz I was like <laughs> laughing so bad. It looks like Almost worse than like a sci-fi channel movie, like Sharknado level. And then on top of that, the worst image of it all is Bryce Tallis Howard's assistant, yeah, who's like, like nephewing him around. Kind of yeah, character. the pterodactyl picks her up, and then they're like dropping them from pterodactyl to pterodactyl as they're it's flying a horrible around. Horrible way to die. And then she gets carried over the water, and then giant water dinosaur <laughs> comes up and like grabs both of them. Um, you could tell this is very much a movie that's made for 3D. Like especially rewatching it at home. Oh, it comes out. There's your face. so many scenes where they're meant to be shot. Like, oh wow, it's coming right at me. And whenever you watch it at home, it just looks fucking stupid. <laughs> so in other words, this movie is fucking stupid. And I'll, I'll check it out. I think it's. 
I don't think it's like a complete train wreck of a film. I think that there are some okay parts to it. It's like a solid like three out of ten. I, I remember. Um, it's not a good movie though. I remember Harry saying that like this is one of the worst movies he's ever seen in his life. It's not a good movie. Yeah. So Harry, if you're listening, let us know your thoughts on uh, Fallen Kingdom because we know you're all excited for that. Uh, are we gonna? Are we? I don't. I don't think we're gonna see that. I'm gonna we, see it. I'm gonna see it. Hey, I actually, I really like. I heard uh, J. That, Bayona. I heard that it's uh, it's not Jurassic World. It's Jurassic House. Yeah. Well, apparently I know, the bulk of the movie takes place in a mansion. Well, they did the best thing about Jurassic House. The best thing about it is just like getting off of the island immediately because we've already had four other movies that take place on the island. Yeah. So at least it's a change of scenery. I heard that it's more like J.A. Bayona, like whether you like it or not, he's more embracing uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom as a monster movie, which is what it honestly should be. Like they're, they aren't going to make a sequel that's going to be like a great film or anything at that point. At this point, they just need to go for making it just a fun like monster movie. Yeah. Is, is there a scene in Jurassic World where Chris Pratt is like training a couple of velociraptors and someone's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. He's like, yeah, but sometimes it's not like I'm teaching them. It's like they're teaching me. Whoa. Is that is that in there? I think I, base, it might as well be. <laughs> is, is Chris Pratt's character even a character? No, he's just... Does he have any growth or does he learn nobody anything? Nobody in this movie ha- is a character <laughs> at all. Bryce Dallas... Okay, so the emotional crux of this movie is um they realize the, the two kids who are on this... Uh, like on this island on this vacation together especially with their aunt but their aunt's busy Bryce Dallas Howard she's doing important person things and uh the little one realizes that their parents are getting a divorce their parents played by um oh, David uh, Wallace yeah. from Shouts Out to the Office can't get away and uh but he finds out that their parents are getting divorced and they're like oh no this might be like our last vacation together before we get like separated and Whoa. all this stuff and like you don't care about that because the parents are only in two minutes of the entire movie. So you're like, okay, so I don't care about that. Um, there's a scene where Chris Pratt's saving them and there's like, oh no, your boyfriend's badass to Bryce Dallas Howard. And it's just, the dialogue is just fucking horrendous. This movie's bad. This movie's bad. All right. Well, you, you started this review by saying that you don't despise it. It sounds like you despise it. I kind of do. <laughs> I, okay. Well, <laughs> I tried to be optimistic going into this movie, but there's just so many eye-rolling moments. Okay. It's it's literally, it's completely forgettable. So, Fallen opinion. Kingdom? I'm still going to check out Fallen Kingdom because I have movie pass and I hate myself. <laughs> Jurassic World, Day of the Soldado. I'm going to watch I'm going to watch Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Day of the Soldado and the last 5 episodes of Westworld at the same time. <laughs> every every sequel while chugging a bottle of cyanide. <laughs> I'm definitely going to start calling every sequel like Day, Day of the, the Soldado. Sold- yeah, Incredibles 2, Day of the Soldado. <laughs> it works for every single sequel. Oh my god. All right, so <laughs> lastly, Let's move from um, one um, Spielberg rehash to the Spielberg original to yeah. spark it all. The movie that changed movies. It really the first did. movie ever made. Yeah. <laughs> and the last movie ever made, you yeah. could say. The last film ever yeah. made. Um, Jaws. Yeah. So earlier, like, right before we record this podcast, I've been trying to do it. Uh, I've missed out the last couple years, but before that, um, it was kind of like a tradition a little bit with me and my family that... Fourth of July, Jaws always plays on TV, and I would always watch Jaws. Oh, yeah. Jaws growing up was one of my favorite movies, 
and rewatching it now, I just set up my big TV, sound bar, bass, and everything. Nice. This movie is perfect. Humble oh, Like, yeah. Jaws is a perfect film for me. Like, I really think just top down, it has everything that you could want. Excellent tension, excellent it's, acting. Yeah. The set pieces are amazing. I don't know, man. I, I'm going to have to knock off half a star for giving a bad rap to Sharks. Yeah, that's fucked they didn't up. Okay, that. so that is actually, if I was going to knock anything about this movie, it's that this whole Jaws kind of started a little bit of shark phobia, yeah. which Spielberg could have never, like, I don't think that he ever anticipated this because he didn't anticipate this being the original summer movie blockbuster. Yeah, you can't make a movie and be like, am I going to start a cultural movement? Well, he it was hell for him to make this movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. This he is... like, literally went through hell like out on the water trying to make this fucking oh, movie. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's notoriously known like everything that went through going into making this movie. Like, I know uh, one of the stories is that originally whenever he made this movie, Spielberg wanted to nail the cameras on the boat down, like nail them to a tripod down on the boat. And it took like the entire production team be- being like, no, you can't do that. If you do It'll that, people garbage. are going to be... No, well, people will be, like, throwing up in yeah, the theaters because yeah, be, you'll have, yeah. like, motion sickness of moving with the waves. And the fact that it just kind of stays with this flat eye line and you're in, like, the water line with this ominous third party, like, watching them either above, like, just right at the water line or underneath the water line, swimming up underneath uh, the swimmers or the boats, everything else. It's just... It's a masterwork intention. Like, I mean... I wanted to also talk quickly. I don't know when the last time you guys watched Jaws. Have y'all seen Jaws recently? I saw it last year. Okay. So I I have it a little little recently Um, in the memory. So the scene in the galley of the ship with Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss, and Roy Scheider, when they're all just like talking together, and it goes from them like sharing like scar stories together, like pulling out, you want to know how I got this one? You want to know how I got this one? Just like really funny. And then Robert Shaw giving just this unbelievably great monologue about um, his time in the USS Indianapolis and a thousand men were with him and only 300 men came out because due to shark attacks and that's why he has this whole like personal vendetta against sharks and everything else which is based on a true story like that's actually something that happened sharks are actually bad and they should be (laughs) all be dead no, I do. It's it, it's a personal vendetta with these three guys. Like they have it out to get for this. Another thing. Uh, so one thing that's really cool about this movie is Roy Scheider starts this movie as like the most badass dude in the world. Like he's just like radiates coolness and everything. Like as just this, he's the chief of police. He's just going around. And he's just kind of in over his head with this small island town that now has this big shark attack. But he kind of radiates this charisma until he gets on the boat and it's established that he does have a fear of water. Whenever he gets there, he becomes like the third most important character on this ship. And it all is just taken over by Quinn and by, um, Richard Dreyfuss's character, the oceanographer, uh, Hooper. And it's just, it's really cool how this movie, it actually does have genuine characters in it that you follow through the whole time. Fucking Robert Shaw's like whole opening thing where he's just there. It's just like, oh my, just not your normal bird. I'll get this bird for you, but not for three grand. That's really good. <laughs> it started, but it started like a whole like a cliche of a guy just being like nails on a chalkboard, yeah. getting everybody's yeah, attention. Yeah. Let me tell you what you need to do. I can help you with this situation. Yeah, and that would later whole be room used, turns. Later be yeah. used in SpongeBob, notably. <laughs> um. 
Jaws is an unbelievable movie. It's one of those movies that, like, even when you're a little kid, you're watching it and you're like, this is, like, really good. I wasn't, like, I didn't critique things on that level as a child, but I was like, this looks like... It, it had... I mean, Spielberg is famous for his, his cool uh, oneers, his one takes, and yeah. it, it has... There, I mean, there are probably like five or so in this movie that like are, they're kind of hypnotic to look at. Like, mm-hmm. no, no director does it in this way. Plenty of directors do that now. It's almost become a bit of a gimmick. And they do it digitally. Too. Yeah, They'll exactly. Like stitch yeah, shots like together. Fakes. Yeah, and it's, it's it's just done without purpose a lot of the time. It's mm-hmm. done just to say that they did it, where it's like five minutes, but it doesn't really need to be. He does it perfectly because it 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 fits the scene when he does it Mm. it'll be he did it there was one shot in the post that reminded me so much of jaws because it did that it was just a room full of people talking and like the their like height level in the frame you know depicted their power level in the scene and their movement around like it tells the story yeah and it changes based on like where their power level is they will move literally in the frame like it is so it's like a ballet. Yeah, happening. I mean, Jaws does that. I mean, specifically, one scene that I just think of you saying that is when uh, Richard Dreyfus and Roy Scheider are trying to both convince the mayor, and they all are in different height levels, and they're all yelling over each other, and you can, like, pick apart each person's thing that they're saying, and each of them are making a point, but they're each coming at it with their own perspectives and it's just very very unique and compelling storytelling that they all have their points but they're all coming at from three different angles while talking over each other that whole subplot of the mayor trying to keep the beach open because it's the it's the fourth it's independence day is so crucial to the the drama of the story it's not just some guys out to get a shark it's like they're literally trying to keep people safe because the mayor refuses to close the well, beach. But at the same time, it's like you don't necessarily sympathize with the mayor, but you do understand his perspective because they said, like, this is a summer town. Like, this is where this whole town... Oh, the I mean, tourism. Yeah, yeah, when you think about, like... I mean, we're from Tallahassee. Think about, like, St. George Island. Like, that's a town that is a ghost town nine months out of the year. But then if they had like a, something like jaws happen there, that would like destroy them economically. Like that's where this town makes all of their money. They can't afford to shut down on their biggest day of the year. So you understand from the mayor's perspective, even though he's absolutely wrong because people are dying from this killer shark. It's, it's a really, really good script. It's well, it's a well thought out movie. It's not. It should be a lot cornier than it is, and it's really not a corny movie. Yeah, it's aged well. It has. It really has. It's aged definitely better than uh, Close Encounters, which we saw. Because Close Encounters, you just kind of watch it now, and you're like, I I see it as like a a product of divorce kind of movie. (laughs) But I mean, that's what it was. That's what Spielberg was writing it from that perspective of. And this is definitely. It doesn't really. I mean, of course, like women kind of take a back seat in this movie, oh, yeah. but it's not necessarily it's not in a derogatory kind of way. It's yeah. just that this centers on the chief of police, an oceanographer, and this crusty old fisherman, and that's kind of just where the crux of the story lies. Yeah, the and the uh, the shark, the fake shark, doesn't look too bad. No, you, I think the fake shark actually looks amazing. Yeah, it, it really. Is, like it could have fooled me, and it's like it's like a forty-year-old practical effect, and yeah. it still looks pretty good. Like that's that's kind of unbelievable. There's one specific part because I noticed it uh, on this watch through that um, Robert Shaw is a point where he says something just like you know the 
the sharks when they're coming at you like they have this blackness and their eyes are just pure black and it's like Death. it just well it just it looks like they're lifeless and you don't believe that's a living creature until they get a taste of blood and then their eyes roll back and you see the white <laughs> and there's actually a point in the movie where um whenever it's one of the best scenes right in the climax of the movie when um, Richard Dreyfus is down there in the tank underneath the water. Oh, yeah. And it feels so claustrophobic. And you see the shark coming up. And at first, its eyes are black. And then it kind of rolls back and you see the white a little Ooh. bit. And you're just like, oh, my God, they're going to die. Fucking Robert Shaw's death scene is one of the best death scenes yeah. in any movie. Like the, ah! the, the whole ship just starts yeah. to like go under. And the shark is just like... Just He's ready just to out there, bring like, the whole thing with it. It's just, it's so cool. It's like the most well done monster movie in that you never even see the entire shark, the entire film. Like you just yeah, see. Because they didn't have an entire shark. Yeah, but <laughs> everything that worked to the films that was a detriment to the film while they were making it ended up working to the film's benefit. Yeah. Yeah, which you can never anticipate anything like that. But I, I think this movie is mm. really a masterpiece. Well, I know that it started a whole level of shark phobia which is kind of yeah. shameful because sharks really don't attack people I, thing, I don't blame Spielberg for the, that the thing that I'm really offended by is that Spielberg is basically indirectly responsible for Shark Week which is <laughs> which is in my opinion the worst you better not shit on Shark Week it's, right now Shark Week sucks hey get the fuck out of no, this podcast it is, it is a week of stretching out content that does not need to exist it is a joke and it's and people act like it's such a thing and it's not a thing speaking of we're gonna have a whole episode devoted to Shark Week next oh. week so. hey man the Meg yo Dude, That's, this is uh, this is the a Meg. S- the Meg is gonna they're gonna like uh, Cloverfield it and make the Meg actually like Jaws nine because yeah. that's oh, no. the real tragedy of Jaws that sparked a whole layer of sequels, horrible sequels, which are all just fucking horrendous. Well, what I, I'm really worried the Meg is gonna make people irrationally scared of megalodons. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well let's um let's uh, wrap it up with a, a couple like five minutes of some other. Uh, yeah, great Fourth of July. Day. That's yeah. that's it pretty. Is. I mean, this is a pretty hot take, though. I mean, we want a mic officially recommends Jaws. Oh, <laughs> whoa! <That's>, wow, we gotta. <laughs> I mean, I ugh. I obviously Will Smith's Independence Day. That's a fucking classic. Yeah, that movie's um, so stupid. It's it classic. is. I know. It, I know. It's really fun to watch, but it's like it's fun to laugh at yeah. for me. But for me, um, the one that always comes to mind is The Fugitive. Harrison yep, the, Ford's Fugitive. the Fugitive. I love that movie. Fugitive yeah. is an incredible, incredible movie. Um, there's actually a couple uh, Harrison Ford movies on here because I just like clicked on Harrison Ford and Air Force One. Ooh, yeah, very patriotic, great movie. Yeah, Gary what Oldman. about The yeah. Patriot? Mel Gibson's The Patriot. Also, yeah, That's uh, Keith an Ledger. Excellent movie. Yeah, yeah. Glory. glory, 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 glory. Yeah, like um, Denzel. Who else is in there? Is that Cuba? Cuba and Denzel. I don't know, but that's that's the, like the classic history class like shit gets real movie. Oh yeah, the serious <laughs> one. Talking about a great like patriarch movie and just excellent script. A few good men. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, th- that's like Sorkin's kind of breakout yeah, movie. You know, script. you know another history class movie that's like shit gets kind of real is The Last of the Mohicans. Oh my god, yeah. Definitely. You know, I, I I picked up that blue recently. Oh shit, I got a I got more like red, that. white, and blue. Um, I uh, I never got into Top Gun, but a lot of people Dude, say that Top Gun that is a, incredible. Yeah. I actually I love Top that, Gun. This is a compliment. That movie's gay. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like that movie is so homoerotic. Not in a bad way. It's just like 
it's that is the only movie where Tom Cruise actually pulls off being like like attractive instead mm-hmm. of just like Tom Cruise attractive. You know, yeah, that's the only movie where Tom Cruise looks like oh I get it. Yeah, that but Top Gun like I feel like Top Gun's I I want to rewatch that movie just because I remember one of my favorite scenes in that movie outside of all the cool like plane scenes and everything else is whenever they're just like at the bar. With like the boys and like yeah. Tom Cruise just trying to hit on the lady and everything, it's just like such like a scene of oozing charisma and that, all around that movie. Yeah, it's really corny, but it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Top Gun Two's coming out. A lot of slow motion beach oh, volleyball. Yeah. They're they're actually shooting that right now. Yeah. Oh boy. Literally right now. <laughs> yeah, there is slow motion beach volleyball shots. There is a lot. It's very a lot of glistening. A lot of glistening pecs. In really that movie. Uh, helped Kenny Loggins' career. Top Gun did. <laughs> Yeah, he needed it. Yeah, I um I remember watching uh, the Patriot on several Fourth of Julys. Yeah, dude, the Patriot is good an incredible. That's my favorite Mel Gibson role, actually. Is in that the, Patriot. the Is that the it's, Heath Ledger one, or is that yeah less, yeah okay. yeah? It's Mel and, and Heath. Um, it's between that and Braveheart, but I'd give the edge to the Patriot. Just fucking what. Mel Gibson does with a tomahawk in the Patriot is oh yeah never forget <laughs> holy that shit oh my god also uh, Apollo thirteen oh yeah from I didn't the director even think about of that, but... Solo Ron Howard <laughs> from director of Solo Ron Howard <laughs> I hope that that's what Ron Howard gets known for he's gonna be like oh is that the guy who does the voiceover in Arrested Development and who directed Solo. <laughs> I'm just I'm scrolling through a list right now. This one website says Forrest Gump. Yeah, Forrest Gump. That's also that's, a good. Yeah, one. that's. I think that that came out. It came uh, out summertime. It came out July sixth. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah I mean that's just a very yeah. It's, I mean that's like the most American movie ever because it covers like thirty years of American history. Yeah, football. We have like war. It's I mean, just, he's involved with every event like ever yeah. in America. American Sniper, the Clint Eastwood film. Never Nas- saw American <laughs> this, Sniper. This list what? has uh, National Treasure. That's a patriotic movie, huh? Dude, actually, Nick Cage. I mean, it is literally. There's people doing fireworks out there, oh, Hunter. It's, it's like, Jesus. It's literally almost thought, the Fourth of July. <laughs> it's hey, almost. We have we have the ambiance to to fill out. This hey, segment. all right. Uh, people think it's sound effects. Just shut yeah. Up. <laughs> people think we're putting in okay, production hey, value. Quick, a uh, quick plug for a good sports movie that's patriotic. Miracle. Hockey man. movie. Oh man. Yeah. That that's that movie a, made me sob in the theaters. Oh yeah. To a. Uh, uh, Dream on Aerosmith, yeah, like iconic the, with that movie. That, that was yeah, that was one of the first uh, pretty good sports movies I saw as a little kid. That that left a mark. Hey, uh, Pearl Harbor. All right, let's wrap it up there. Um, <laughs> Pearl Harbor is a fucking piece of shit, and I will stand by that. Yeah. It's three hours of fucking garbage. Can we do like a just like Goodwill Hunting? Can we do a, a rewatchables for like bad movies? We could do that actually, like, just like, like live commentary. commentary. Well, I, I don't actually. I don't want to do a commentary for that because that movie's like three hours. <laughs> Coincidentally, though, because of your Pearl Harbor thing, on this list is also Team America: World Police, which originated oh, the Pearl Harbor hate. I did not originate. I originated the Pearl Harbor hate. Yeah, but, you're um, the first person. Yeah, to I was hate the first that, person to do. It. I was like five who, years old, and I was like, "This movie sucks." Yeah, I remember. I I tried to. Um, I I remember renting that movie from my local library, and it was like four VHS. Yes. Yeah. No, I was gonna say my um my grandma actually owned <laughs> Pearl Harbor, and she only had a limited number of VHS tapes. Whenever I first moved moved in with her, whenever I moved back to Tallahassee, and uh, that was one of the movies I put on because. Uh, my mom loves that movie. Oh no! And so she put it on one day, and I watched it, and I was like, "This sucks." She's a big Josh Hartnett head. Like I was a little kid, and for me to say this sucks whenever I was entertained by the stupidest shit tells yeah. you how bad of a movie it this, is. Uh, Team America: World Police, though, is an awesome. You movie. know, it's it. I think Pearl Harbor was so bad that it has 
effectively shelved the idea of making a Pearl Harbor movie for so for, it's been like oh, 15 yeah. years. That is one of the biggest events in U.S. history. We have like 20 World War II movies a year. Pearl Harbor is pretty much untouched. Yeah, yeah. it's rare that we. There it's, have been a couple others since then, but like. Well, that's kind of the anti Saving Private Ryan. Where Saving Private Ryan, like the whole military, was like applauded for how well they represented, like, well, like, or the actors were all like applauded for how well they represented military force and everything else. Oh, Pearl yeah. Harbor, everybody's just like a whiny boy, like out there, just like oh, like and it's Michael, more of a soap Michael, opera. Than it is well, a Michael, war movie. Michael Bay was trying to like do his Titanic. He was like, I'm going to make a war movie, but it's also going to be a romance. That's really it's, funny. Ugh. This yeah. is my Titanic. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, um, as a final little July 4th movie, Armageddon. Oh, man. That's a stupid movie. <laughs> you know what? Armageddon is, it's, I don't want to close my eyes. Dude, you know when something? Bruce Willis sacrifices himself, mm. I cry. Every yeah, time. Um, you want to know something? I actually own the Criterion DVD of Armageddon. <laughs> I found it at a pawn shop for a dollar, and Amazing. that's like a joke on like Criterion subreddits and everything. Is everybody always like every now and then they'll it. post it and they'll be like, "Never forget that this happened." That Criterion chose to make of all movies, they chose fucking Armageddon to make a restoration of. Yeah, that I mean, honestly, I I remember watching that movie as a kid and being like, "This is intense." <laughs> Do you guys think there's going to be any like more modern movies that are going to be? I mean, kind of Independence Day Resurgence. As... Oh boy, I was thinking more like <laughs> the first Purge. Oh, the upcoming one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's called the first Purge. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I actually that movie looks I'm horrible. Kind of, I mean, I yeah, but <laughs> I'm I'm not excited for it. But I'm going to see the first Purge. It has just the concept alone of it is interesting oh, enough. I saw I saw one of those movies like back home on cable one night and it was it was entertaining. It was stupid, obviously, but like it, it was fun. Like you you know what's gonna happen. It's one of those movies like in Save the Cat, Blake Snyder is like your movie you sh- when you tell people the premise they should be able to tell you what scenes are going to be in the movie that's it's one of those movies where you just know already you might as well watch it or you could just imagine it in your head and it's exactly what you think Hunter, i i think you're you're flirting with uh some dangerous shit here just willy-nilly just going to see whatever just because you have movie pass i i think you you Am I the gonna... reason why movie pass is going to go out of business no i i think that you're going to like break a little bit <laughs> Like, you can't just be going to movies just because there's movies. I kind of think that I do need to do that, though. I think I think this this is this is going to hit a breaking point. Guys, I should tell you this. I've been watching Bright the entire time we've been talking. <laughs> God, I just need sleep, guys. I just can't stop. All right, well. Partner, no. <laughs> Bright is on right now. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's shut it down. Yeah, let's, let's go let's home. Go home. Let's, go. Um, let's Let's uh let's blow up this asteroid in half <laughs> as we save the world and as we uh, save and Private also, Ryan yeah, and also take also our the president and yeah t- <laughs> dun, call, claim our independence. Dun, um, dun, 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 you can uh, dun, 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 go Gators. Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> you're doing. <laughs> you can uh, you can email us at webottomike at gmail and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at webottomike. Let us know what fun july 4th movies you like to see and what you thought of the westworld finale was it everything you hoped for and more let us know
Or um, if you didn't watch the Westworld finale like me, write in what you think Westworld finale should have been mm. uh, without watching any episodes. Yeah. Let us know who you think is going to win yeah. the World Cup. L- let us let's know who won this episode. Which one of us three? <laughs> That's what we should start doing. <laughs> who won the week? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who made the most good points? All right. Um, you guys want to plug anything? Um, I am on Letterbox at Hunt Mobley. I am also at Twitter on the same name. I'm at Drew Dietzen, D-I-E-T-Z-E-N on Twitter. Um, and then um, at Drew D on Letterbox. Listen, every week I say I should get on One there. One of these days. Yeah. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> I'm, I might. I will say, um, I actually, uh, before we go quickly, just want to shout out Barnes & Nobles. They're having a big Criterion sale right now. 50% huh. off. So I currently, I bought six new Criterions. So you can look forward to a few new uh, reviews of some classic films, I including... Didn't... Uh, Bottle Rocket Great movie oh. Yeah which I've, I've never seen Bottle oh, Rocket Oh dude it's really good um, I know I got a Devil's Backbone A couple Mike Lee films So yeah Look forward to that I didn't even realize There was a Piano crate, uh Crate subreddit Is it r slash The Criterion You really collection? casually mentioned Just that That R- you're on a Criterion <laughs> message board um, And they have inside jokes uh, By uh, <laughs> Is there a thread For like people Who think they have a problem uh, Is there like an addicts Anonymous Yeah There's actually I started the thread It's just like Hey I It's on movie pass So it's just like Hey guys I think I'm seeing Too many movies He started the subreddit And it's only him Okay <laughs> Well I'm At Calernist On social media And you can check out My letterbox At Calernist as well uh, I reviewed Mission Possible 3 This week and uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what uh, what I got on the docket. I'll probably try to watch um, Jurassic Park, the original, and uh, not Fallen Kingdom. Let's do that. We're gonna see Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. All right. But next week we got Ant Man and the Wasp, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's it. Okay. I don't know. Should we rewatch the original? I think I'm good. I don't. I don't uh, yeah, I think I'm all right. I'm I'm good. Yeah. All right. I'll well, watch a different Edgar Wright movie. Later. That's actually an Edgar Wright movie. Yeah. Bye. Right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.